I will say, I uh, as we're getting live here, I really enjoyed your little dance-off at the end of the Grisenwald episode. <laughs> Do like a dance-off. <laughs> that that, side, I of the that t- side of the table looked uh, growing, just kind of kept growing in concern. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. How are you all this uh, fine afternoon over here in Scotland or morning stroke evening, depending on where you are in the world? I hope you're all well. Yep. Uh, le- everyone, let me know if y'all can hear us okay, if the sound levels are good, um, if I need to turn my mic down or turn Andy up anymore, just... Uh, let us know in the little text box but yes hello it's another sunday which means it's time to talk about more warhammer lore stuff uh uh we're joined once again with my co-host here andy law the one the only the law master um indeed and uh, might i say that today i am super excited because this is one of my favorite topics i've awesome. not only written about it a lot i've spoken about it more times than i care to mention so this is it's sort of bizarrely exciting because it's like, ooh, I get to talk about the thing I like. <laughs> Good um, times. <laughs> and if everyone on uh, the YouTube chat and the Twitch chat can help me give a round of applause for Lawhammer getting over 1K subs on huh? YouTube, uh, well, thank you we're going to be setting off off to 10K now. <laughs> oh, we're on the track. Yeah. But uh, just a reminder, if you haven't checked it out, please do. Uh, that's literally what I was doing yesterday. Uh, I actually finished the Grisenwald episode and was like, yes, now I can watch the Fallen Hold. And then I realized it wasn't up yet. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> it's, it's uploading right this moment. Awesome. But uh, so today, uh, for those of you that didn't see me spamming all over the damn place, um, we are talking about the winds of magic, which isn't mm-hmm. necessarily to say... Uh, uh, I apologize to my editor in in retrospect because I should have it should have occurred to me that he probably thought I meant the book The Winds of Magic, not the subject The Winds of Magic. But, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, in any event, um, we are there is so much to cover. We also have mm-hmm. a ton of questions in from Discord folks. I think we have like yep, yep. twenty or thirty questions. Um, so we're gonna kind of hit those as we can, but I'm actually gonna let Andy start and see how much he can try and summarize it without going, without <laughs> going too far. Okay, right. Andy, let's let's keep what it are sim- the winds of magic. <laughs> let's keep it simple to begin. What are the winds of magic? At the polar gates, at the very top and at the bottom of the world. Although they often forget the bottom one. <clears throat> the winds of magic billow forth. They come from the realms of chaos, or alternatively, if you wish to view it in a more broader way, the aether. If you've got questions about what that means, do ask. To begin with, the winds are all matched up together and they're a big, horrible melange of awfulness. This is often called dark magic by some or just pure chaos by others. And as it comes from the aether into the real world, it becomes almost material. It becomes real rather than something that comes from another dimension. And that means that it now begins to conform to real world laws. To begin with, there's so much magic that that reality itself collapses around the gates. But past that, it then merges into reality and splits into... If you believe the standard lore, eight winds of magic. These eight winds all have a discrete color. Each color, no matter where you are in the world, will be perceived if you learn to look at that magic as that color eventually. 
Some people believe mm. that you're just training yourself to see what's already there. Other people believe that it is just innately the truth with the wind. But it's fair to say that if you're on one side of the world and you can see Atwe, the red wind, if you go to the other side of the world and are trained by an entirely different tradition, you will still see Atwe, the red wind, as red. You might have a different way of viewing it, a different way of feeling it, but ultimately mm. that wind will still be perceived to you as red. Now, this is where we get a little bit more complex as we split into <laughs> our eight winds and how they're seen. So we've got ourselves eight, each one attached to one of the, let's say, colors, which in turn is attached to a particular lore. That's a type of magic. So let's start off with, let's say, uh, where we start? Fire. Fire. Actually. Fire. Actually. Okay. Actually. Now, there's lots of ways to say it. Now, um, actually, is how it's most commonly pronounced, um, but you'll find that often in the books they will say that that is the way that it can be pronounced safely, and that if you actually pronounce it with the correct intonations, it's slightly different. Actually, so, to, to interrupt, you, the, to interrupt yes. you, what are those words? Because a lot of people ask that and get uh, want to know with the names of the lords. Actually, Gur, Shaish, what? Yeah, yeah. Where is that from? What is that? Um, so, uh, do, do we want to go back to where they were originally came from, or do we want to go back to in lore where it comes from? There's let's two very well. different views. <laughs> okay, so let's start off with where the Winds of Magic came from before we go into each one of the Winds. The Winds of Magic were originally introduced to the game in White Dwarf number... Ooh, this is a question. White Dwarf number 113. Oh, that's going back a little bit. Uh, this was for Warhammer 3rd Edition. Now, a lot of people think that it came in later. It did not. It was Warhammer 3rd Edition with a bunch of new rules that were added by Brian Ansell and Rick Priestley. Um, it was also in White Dwarf number 114. And the Winds of Magic, as we know them today, were almost fully formed by that point. But everything that we understand as the Winds of Magic didn't really get nailed down for another... Because this is back in, what, 19... I'm going to say 1989. It wasn't until 1992 when the Battle Magic set for Warhammer 4th Edition came out that the Winds of Magic as we know today were not just formalised, they were codified. And it pretty much stays this forever with people just reiterating different versions of the same basic descriptions again and again and again. And that's where the eight Winds of Magic are described. That's where they're described for coming from the Chaos Gates and exactly how they are influencing the world. There we lose for the first time one of the early winds that was introduced called the Rainbow Wind. And mm. the Rainbow Wind was replaced by the High Wind. So the High Wind being the merging of all eight Winds of Magic in a sympathetic way that makes them do powerful shit. Um, or alternatively, Dark Magic, which is the, or you could argue, the original state. Or alternatively, what happens when the Winds are crushed together and do horrible things to create super powerful effects. Consider almost like the, the nuclear bomb of magic. Mm. In that you start crushing it up, and by crushing it up, it causes explosions of magic that you start can use. splitting in atoms, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, it's the proper powerful shit that is extremely dangerous. And only very talented wizards, very capable wizards, or very stupid wizards use it. Because it also comes <laughs> hand in hand with corruption. Okay, so uh, past that, the winds go through a variety of different forms in a variety of different games. But they are basically the same in all of them. You see them pop up in Blood Bowl, for example, in the Dungeon Bowl game. Where they still had a Rainbow College and a Dark College at that point. But that later changes, they get rid of the rainbow and dark, and they leave that for people like the dark elves and the high elves, and humans only have the eight colleges of magic. So that's that. We then pull back into the actual in-lore side of things. So where do the winds come from here? Now, 
you have different versions of the lore that tell you different stories. But there is a general overall consensus, and that's that the winds didn't really break into the world with any great power until the gates themselves collapsed at the North and the South Pole. That's the gates of the old ones. And when they collapsed, they flooded the world with etheric energies, energies that should have stayed in another dimension. Alternatively, with another reading, you could claim that those energies were always there and at the collapse of the gates, it perverted it, it changed it, and it caused everything to become something new. Regardless, we have ourselves magic flooding the world and that allows demons to also flood the world and do all manner of horrible things at what's effectively the beginning of time in the Warhammer world. Mm. So that's where they originally come from. There's a couple of things that we need to add on top of that as well. First one is, uh, you ready for a buzzword? Anaquian. Uh, Anaquian is effectively a mythical language, but it's actually ancient arcane elven if you want one word. It's the mm. original language of the Slan if you want another word. It's mm. alternatively the language of the Old Ones if you want another description. Mm. But Ana Anaquian is the foundation point of all language in pretty much the Warhammer world. All of it comes from there because certain words in the Warhammer world have real effect. If you say something like actually, or alternatively, possibly the true pronunciation, actually, if you say that and you have magical capability, fire will literally form in your hands. If you mm. go tarachi, making a slight distinction, tarachi, uh, that enunciation might turn that fire into a quick streak of fire that flies across a battlefield. And you make a quick fire dart. So it's kind of that really famous concept in fantasy IPs of like a true language. Correct. Um, uh, but that is, if you want to know what it is in truth, because it has been stated multiple times in the lore, it's also language demonic. It's what the demons hmm. speak. And that's because it's the true language of the Aether, um, where form in the Aether is imagination. It is the depth of emotion. And it is conceptual. It's not real. It's concept. And word in the real world is the equivalent of concept in the other side. So the concept of fire is actually. And you say the concept of fire with magic around you and it causes material fire to manifest around it. So yeah. we have ourselves eight wins. Oh, question, question, question. And yes, just uh, getting little things that I kind of see popping up in the, uh -huh. uh, the chat. Jinx, uh, essentially, yes. Though the South yes. Gate is the Southern realm of chaos the chaos weights are more of the desolation they're like the bridge between reality and that unreality but yes that is what the southern chaos weights are it's mostly unexplored we get little bits of it here and there but um yeah um, yeah yes, but yes to all of that <clears throat> let's go ahead and jump because we uh be, actually get to the question stuff we got to get through all the establishing bases so, so yeah well we get our let's start in. with fire let's start with the wind of fire Actually, so actually is um, two things to consider for all the wins before we go through them all. Number one is that they have an empirical thing. That's something that you can see. And they also have, let's say, an emotional side. That's something that you can feel. And that's important to know because each of the wins do two things. They're attracted to things that are empirically there. That's things that you can see and feel in the imperial world, in the real world, the mortal realms. Um, but they're also attracted to how people feel, how people are reacting. So actually, it's attracted to fire. It comes directly to empirical heat. It <laughs> gathers around empirical heat. But it also gathers around tempestuous emotions, anger, 
um, someone who's angry will gather actually to them. Um, and indeed, if a lot of actually sinks into someone, it will start making them agitated, jittery, mm. angry, and they're ready to go. Um, and that means that the spells that use actually tend to be fireballs or spells to make someone go into frenzy or get somebody really angry, somebody uh, really passionate about something. And one thing you have to also realize with the Warhammer world in comparison to the real world, the magic is in everyone. It's in everything. It pulses mm. through everybody's bodies. Now, some people have got blockages in their bodies. Some people have got ways of channeling it. That's individuals. Cut a long story short, if you're angry in the Warhammer world, there is actually within you, if you've got yourself a, let's call it a bright wizard, someone who can use actually sitting beside you, a fire mage of some type, they could literally draw that out of you. They could use that magic to help fuel their spells. The angrier you are, the more magic they potentially have to then cast. But the Warhammer world being the Warhammer world, there's loads of magic generally billowing around all yeah, so around. Would it, would it be safe to say then that um, in Akshi's case, there's almost kind of this vicious cycle that can happen? Where yeah. if you have like a mob or an orgy or something where there's a lot of passion, a lot of people are getting fired up, actually starts being drawn to it, is pulling down to it, which then makes those people even more passionate, which can get bad. Absolutely. And to make it even worse, the same is the case for fire. So say, for example, you've got the equivalent of what's happening in our world right now, mm. where fires are sparking off, where things are too hot, and they start to burst up into flame. In the Warhammer world, that will go on for longer, and possibly much longer, because the flame itself can be fueled by the actuary that's there. And that can keep a flame burning for potentially far longer than it should. There's a couple of fine examples in previous parts where wizards have created big burning flames and those flames have lasted for years because mm. of the amount of actually that they flooded into it um so yes empirical emotional all piles together that's actually yeah not sure if it's still canon but i imagine the the burning of altdorf when the bright colleges accidentally set the slums on fire was probably a good example of that <laughs> It still gets mentioned every once in a while, actually, um, as do the Wizard Wars. Um, the uh, issues with it, depending upon which edition you read, um, is that the colleges themselves have recited. It makes it more difficult for the Bright College to be the Bright College as it's classically described and has been since 1992, because it's actually almost in its own district, which is completely burnt yeah. out all around it. Yeah, for anyone that wants to see that, you can literally go download Return of Reckoning right now, go play it. You can go to Altdorf and you can see it, and it's awesome. Like, it's literally just a black, there's just a bunch of burnt buildings around the Bright College. Nobody wants to live there. Not um, a good place to live. Um, yeah. Well, we dive into Azir so that we can get through these more quickly. Yes, heavens! Um, okay, Azir, the lore of the heavens. Now, Azir is a, ma a magic that many of you will know if you know your Age of Sigmar side because it gets popped up a lot over mm. here. And it's not so different, although it's got some different tones over in the Warhammer world. Um, Azir, the celestial magic, is not just a magic of lightning bolts, as many people know it. It's also lightning of telling the future, of knowing what is to come. It's a magic of hope. It's a magic of aspiration, of clear skies, of being able to see the skies. Because one of the ways that you can tell the future in the Warhammer world is because of the way Azir drifts flying across the sky. Uh, when you At night, when you look up through Azir, it distorts all the stars. And that's how they tell futures, using it, using very complicated mathematics. They can determine where the stars should be and where they'd be moved by Azir and be able to determine people's futures because of this. When great portents are coming, they can determine that from the stars. And you'll find that most strong practitioners of Azirs are known for also being, for example, scriers of the sky. They mm. call the uh, Blue College, because it's the blue magic, 
Um, the Blue College uh, in Altdorf, that's the Celestial College, is known for its great soaring towers topped with domes and great telescopes that peer up towards the stars. Many of their um, uh, magisters are old because they don't take the front lines as much as everyone else because they're too busy peering into the sky in the hope of seeing some great future event of great import. Um, their magic... Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, their magic can be, however, pretty destructive because they also have lightning attached to that, the bolt from the blue, so to speak. They are blue wizards, after all. Um, and uh, anything else we'd add to that? What, 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 Omens, like, um, what like emotions or physical things would you say Azir is drawn to? So that's mostly imagination, dreams, hope, anticipation for things that could come. Um, so those who are particularly hopeful, those who are dreaming of a better tomorrow are the ones that are going to be dragging all the blue clouds. Think of your head being lost in the clouds. Mm. That's loosely his ear. Um, uh, losing yourself in those billowing clouds around you. Um, and uh, much like we said with Atchway, once you start, you tend to go further. So those who are known to daydream, for example, become much more of a daydreamer because it drags all of the Azir to them. Yeah. Um, there's also a slightly sharp spikiness to it as well. That's the lightning bolt side, shall we say, um, mm. uh, where it's known not so much for its temper. Um, that would be much more Actuary's domain, but it's known for its crackling danger. Um, so it's always be worth having that uh, in mind when you think you've yeah. So business. you would expect to find a zero around like workshop places where people are inventive or um, aspiring, working on things. Probably a lot of creative types, but maybe yeah. also like astrological events. Like I imagine meteor showers would have a lot of yeah. zero. Anything to do, storms. yeah. Anything to do with the sky. Storms also brings Algu. We get to that in a second. Um, mm. It loves a scudding cloud um, that bring you in the shadows and the darkness that comes in with a lot of those uh, clouds. But uh, yes to all of that. Absolutely. All right. Hey, let's jump to Olgu then. Olgu! Shadow! Ah, shadow! Okay, Olgu, the lore of shadows. So here we're looking at untrustworthiness. We're looking at empirical shadows and darkness. We're looking at people being political and filled with intrigue and being wrapped around as the shadows in their mind um, start to make them potentially quite paranoid. Um, Algu also comes hand in hand. Lore of anxiety. <laughs> yeah, quite. Is, yeah. Um, Algu is indeed the lore of anxiety. Um, it's also uh, a variety of things like um, uh, fogs, as fogs gather in, that brings in Algu. Um, as storms come gathering in, that brings in great uh, clouds of Algu into the sky as well. Algu also comes with a strong sense of wanderlust, the need to move from one place to the next, much like the wind itself. Mm. You find that uh, most practitioners of Algu uh, tend to be travelers. They're often seen as very wise as well because they've traveled from place to place to place and they've seen all things like the great wind that comes along with them. Um, it's also associated to a degree with storms, but not with lightning per se. That's more Azir's ground, but great storms welling up and great fog banks billowing around them. That's 100% Algu. If you're going to drop it down on any individual thing, I'd maybe go confusion, distrust, illusions, paranoia. That's all of it. Their spells mostly deal with illusion, trickery, mind manipulation. And this is the big one casting shadows into the mind. Arguably, Algu is the worst magic as far as the colleges of magic are concerned because mm. it can literally change everybody's mind. 
there's something to be said about blasting someone with a fireball, but you can always see the effects of that, the melted person over there, and they're smoking boots. But when you go up to somebody and go, hey, you know what? I think that uh, I'm going to use my shadow magic now, and uh, you don't support the emperor anymore. That's yeah. Yeah. Effectively, Removing not memories, adding memories. Yeah. It's it's mm. dangerous stuff. So um in the Empire in particular, they're very, very careful about the apprentices that they teach shadow magic because they've got to be people who can be trusted effectively with the Empire itself because they can just go around changing people's minds, removing events. And indeed, there's a lot of rumour amongst all the other colleges who don't really like the Grey College too much, that the Grey College basically is just an extension of the spy masters of the Emperor. And whenever something occurs that the Emperor doesn't like, he just covers it all up with Grey magic. Whether that's true mm. or not, meh. Yeah, so we have a cheeky comment from Jinx for you about Gerhardt. <laughs> but... Uh, um... <laughs> Which... Would Gerhardt be considered a Zier then by definition, lol, since he's uh, very hopeful? Um, uh, yeah, although Gerhardt by his nature um, is, yeah, his head is up in the clouds. He's actually got um, a little trait where he's a bit of a genius who gets himself lost in in the clouds. So, yeah, a Zier is very close to him, although light magic is very close to him yeah. as well. So, with, with Olgu, one thing that I think is important to kind of hear you touch on a little bit is that Olgu, at least from the Empire's perspective, because of the way the Great College has formatted itself, it's very heavily associated with justice. Um, yes. Oh, well, that's a really good point to add yes, as well. Yeah. It's it's almost beyond justice because they're very closely related to Verena in general. Um, One thing that's worth quickly discussing since we've taken this small aside is the Wheel of Magic. The Wheel of yeah. Magic is um, each one of the colours in a wheel in a circle, in a great circle that goes round, um, with each wind sitting beside another and each wind having a rune on it that points outwards normally if you're depicting it correctly. Um, and uh, the grey one, if you've got it there, that'd be great. The grey one yes. is the Sword of Justice itself. Now, the Sword of Justice is also closely related to Verena, the goddess of wisdom. It's a, That's the one, and you can just see the sort of, it's the grey one to the right-hand side there. You see that arrow that's pointing up? That's the Sword of Justice. Um, and that Sword of Justice um, is also represented by Hoth, the god of the elves, the sword masters of Hoth with their great mm -hmm. swords that they dispense justice with. Justice and being fair and being a good judge is hand in hand with Algu because you have to have the correct character or it corrupts you to your core because it is arguably the wind of politics, the wind of power. Yep. All right. Uh, excellent. Let's go ahead and jump to metal. Shaman. Ah, Shaman. Shaman. I'm Scottish. I will often pronounce it uh, Hamon. Um, and indeed, when I'm using the actual spells, I'll, I'll, the CH to me is, uh, I can't help it. It's often pronounced as an X in phonetic languages. Um, this is the wind of metal, the uh, lore of metal. This is the yellow wind, the gold wind. This is the wind that deals with logic. It deals with process. It deals with step by step, understandable, uh, objective fact. Um, the gold wind is all about oh, so many other little things as well. It's also lashed up with greed. Many people believe that the dwarves love getting the gold because it's laughed full with Mon Shabon. Mm. Um, because yeah. that particular wind attract is attracted to heavy metals, all heavy metals, arguably excluding lead. At different points in the lore, they'll say that lead repulses all magic. 
And at other points in the lore, they'll say that the reason it repels, repels all magic is because it's so heavily infused with Shimon. Depends upon which source you read. Yeah. Either either works. Um, yeah, really, it's, it's, the same it's, the same, it's the same outcome, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's totally. Just, is it like more like the color black situation or is it more like Ned to, uh, led to like radi radioactive energy situation? Yeah, so this is the, the wind of wealth, the wind of rationality. It's also the wind, as I mentioned, not just of greed, but also a touch of obsessiveness. Um, because there comes um, with detail that uh, obsessive nature to go through all of the steps in the correct order. And you tend to find that the negative connotations with the winds are when they come in too great a quantity. So too much red wind beside you, you get angry. Too much gold wind beside you, you start to get obsessive and obsessed by the nitty gritty of the details. Gold wizards are known for being alchemists, for being able to change one substance into another, for being able to deal with molten metals of a variety of different kinds. They're quite hot, much like uh, Akshmi, but unlike Akshmi, where they're burning across the battlefield, throwing fire all over the place, the gold wizard tends to be far more calculated in what they do. They tend to be far more careful. They tend to be at the back line rather than the front line, throwing fire in everybody's face. They tend to have quite long spells. Some of their most famous spells, the searing um, long arc spells, used to be in the old game, all the way back to, say, let's say, 4th edition Warhammer, but the longest range spells in the game at 72 inches. Um, to, again, support that idea that gold wizards were far more careful with everything that they did. So, I think yeah. that's a pretty good start. It's also the, I don't know, the the, the College of Experimentation, they're the engineers of the colleges. They tend to make most of mm. the magical artifacts that everybody is aware of. That yeah, they did have a lot of... Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed in the Von Horseman book is it talked about a lot of the, the metal wizards. Tended, a lot of them tended to be rather buff individuals because they were smiths. Or uh, not all of them, but like there were some of them were more alchemists, some of them were more engineers or tinkerers, some of them were more forge masters and smiths. They're creatives in a sense. Oh, there's one other um, stereotype that's worth noting. Quite a lot of them are fat. Um, quite a number of the <laughs> miniatures that used to be there were quite large and round because it's also the wind. It's, it's to get it's giving you that idea of presence, heaviness metal but also mm. the greed that lies with them uh, you'll often find them covered bedecked mm. in uh, rings and big gold chains they're also the only wizards arguably depending on which version of the lore you draw from that can actually wear armor because they can go tip to toe in their metal armor and it doesn't stop them channeling their magic however the rules for all they might have said that in the lore never really allowed that to occur um, so you'll find yeah. in the various editions of Warhammer, they'd say one thing, oh, metal, it's brilliant for them, but you can't wear armor. Yeah, they couldn't, why? They couldn't be bothered. Reasons. Because <laughs> reasons. That makes sense why none of the others could wear armor, because it would fill you with Shimon. You'd be yeah. literally top to toe in gold magic. And if you're a bright wizard trying to channel some fire, you'd be like, oh, the gold's getting in the way. Uh, I, believe, I believe it's the case in at least second and fourth edition of the roleplay that you can wear armor as a metal wizard. Mm. But not in the battle games. Totally, but not the battle games. Um, to, ca to catch this one here, can you use lead handcuffs to uh, incapacitate? No, that wouldn't be enough. That would All that would do is impede the magic around that very small Gag them. If you want to do it, get yourself obsidian. Obsidian ah, yeah. is known for its deep, deep, deep anti-magical uh, capabilities. The destroyer sword, for example, that uh, Malekit has often missed. Long core of obsidian sitting in the heart of that. There's various obsidian artifacts through all editions of the game, and they are all, without fail, anti-magical to their core. You want to stop mm. a wizard? 
grab yourself some obsidian. Yeah, and a lot of the factions that are able to get their hands on obsidian have made some of the most devastating weapons, like Destroy of Eternities for the Tomb Kings, part obsidian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Blade of Realities for the Lizardmen, part obsidian. Um, it is a nasty, nasty, nasty thing. And um, um, uh, if you're looking to mix things up, if you're the role-playing uh, group out there, doing something like making obsidian arrows or obsidian weapons um, and using them to break down wizards is always a fun thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's go uh, life. Gyran. Life. Gyran. Right. Gyran's a lovely one. Now, Gyran, out of all the magics, is the easiest to use. It flows freely through water, through life, through everything that's got any part of life in it at all. It is the magic of horniness, because uh, mm. it, it's the magic of life. Um, <laughs> if you're looking at uh, where it's going to gather, orgies, just people having sex, people just living their lives. Uh, halflings gather great quantities of gyron because they love their lives. They're very much uh, a passionate people in that regard. So not passion on the bright one, which it tends to be a passion! Oh, I'm really behind this! It's far more just passion for life in general. Um, Jade yeah. Magic is all about friendship, fecundity, plant life, uh, water flowing all over the place, and the Jade Wizards themselves like to connect with it. In the Empire, that often means that they themselves have got bare feet. Uh, that allows them to connect to, through to the great channels and flows of Gyron. It doesn't like winter very much, but it really likes spring and summer. Autumn is when the wind begins to drop down a little. Uh, but kind of long story short, it's the green wind. You'll see it in soil. You'll see it in water. You'll see it in life everywhere. It's a magic that if you wish to attach it to any of the gods, you'll be seen with goddesses like Raya or Isha. The uh, fertility god gods in particular. Um, but people in general uh, are filled with this stuff. Everybody yeah. in the Warhammer world is filled with it. And if you were you to have take to be, people, otherwise you're, <laughs> you're yeah. not alive. <laughs> uh, quite. And uh, if you remove it, you will become sterile. Um, they will have no ability to have children. So uh, those who can channel it away also have those rather nasty side effects. You remove... Uh, life magic from something it begins to rot and the removal of life life magic is in some respects the beginning as we move towards necromancy and other horrors yeah. um, because you need to uh, remove that indeed in some versions of the game casting uh, life spells at undead that would heal would in fact do the reverse and kill them yeah oh man there's some stuff we're gonna dive into with that so i've seen a lot of great questions in chat i just want to let y'all know i'm not ignoring you but i know we're gonna get around to those subjects so just hang in there uh, there is right. a few wins to go through. Yeah. Death. <laughs> Let's go death. Shyish. Ah, Shyish. I love Shyish. Shyish is a great win. So Shyish is a win that everyone immediately goes with death. But it's much, much more than that. It's the hmm. wind of time itself. It is the wind of movement of one thing into another. The good old... Uh, the wind of death, the purple wind, is dusty, it's cobwebby, it gathers around death, it gathers around sepulchres, it gathers around people who are mourning, it gathers around loss, it gathers around all of those black and grey emotions that we're all aware of. Depression, for example, comes hand in hand with it. Because it comes hand in hand with death in general, you tend to find that the undead are redolent with it. Mm -hmm. Shyish literally everywhere. Um, it's one of the reasons why in the Warhammer world, whenever you see someone draw some skeletons, they're never just skeletons, they're covered in dust and cobwebs because the wind itself gathers to that sort of thing. Um, it's also the wind of, uh, I suppose loosely you could almost say the wind of sand because the sands of time are a classic 
representation of Ulgu. You'll find that many of the miniatures that are associated with Ulgu, Amethyst Wizards, for example, tend to carry hourglasses. And not only represents the time, it also represents the wind itself, the sands of time. The sands of time is the billow one way or the other are very much the wind of death. I will say, though, that there is a difference between the celestial side, Azir, and the other side, where we're here with Shyash. Shyash is all about the past. The wind billowing yeah, into the ask. past yeah. and current backwards time. Azir is all about looking forwards. Um, so Azir is forwards and Shyash is back. Yeah, Shyash is that, that lore of memories, which there's yeah, a... Yeah, yeah, if totally. you ever... Man, it, like roleplay-wise, you could do so much cool stuff with Shyash because they can, they can literally see the memories in things. They can see the memories in places and all sorts of other crazy stuff like that. Few other things worth adding. It's the wind of silence, the wind of reverence, the wind of respect. If you're looking on the more elemental, uh, pardon me, the more uh, mystical side of things rather than the elemental side. Oh, that's pink though. It's not quite purple. <laughs> so close. It's, um, it's close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. Yeah. It's also the wind about boundaries, moving from one uh, part of your life into another. Um, so it gathers around all manner of different stuff, but it is known most famously for its ability to repulse the undead, to drive back the undead, um, and hopefully not be used to control the undead. That's yes, uh, and him say, <laughs> I, I would say a strong enough Amethyst Wizard could cast a Time Stop spell. It, you would yeah. have to be a very powerful wizard, but it could be done. Yeah, absolutely. And in some respects, you'll find, um, for those of you who don't know, the Winds of Magic has creeped into 40k multiple times um, <laughs> in that various games um, that were based in the 40k universe took parts of the Winds of Magic and almost just uplifted them and dropped. Um, and many of the time distortment spells that are there uh, came hand in hand with purple iconography because of Shyish, the Wind of Death. Particularly in games like, say, Space Hulk. Uh, let's jump to uh, a wind that uh, <laughs> you, you talked a little sass about not too long ago. Gur, beast. Ah, yeah. Now, Gur, uh, in some parts of the lore, it's got an actual temperature as well. Gur is known for being cold, but Gur is the lore of the, the wind, the amber lore, the uh, wind of beasts, the lore of beasts. It's uh, in all wild things, it is moving out of control completely. It's more than just a frenzy. It is something that has uh, no real intellect sitting behind it. It's something that is bestial. The savage um, lore. Yeah, indeed, yeah. the lore of savagery. Um, now, if you're looking for any species that uh, particularly epitomizes what many few as Gur, often they bring up green skins. I would rubbish that heavily because green skins are really clever. They aren't as clever as, say, for example, your average human, but they have goblins, definitely are. Goblins. Um, yeah. uh, they're not savages, they are worse. They're a force of nature. They're almost like the tide. And yes, they have savagery to them, but so do many humans. Um, the greenskins are not necessarily natural users. Oh, well, they can't really use any of the winds per se. We'll get to that, I imagine, later. Um, yeah, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to there. <laughs> but Gur, particularly in the Warhammer world, uh, wherever it eventually goes to, is very much uh, wild creatures, pelts, skins, atavism, as in becoming a base creature, something that doesn't really think anymore. Impulse, just doing, not thinking. Um, it's the, oh, I'm getting... <laughs> Gur! <laughs> Gur! Um, it's also a wind of isolation and remoteness, of distancing yourself from any civilization at all. Wild places, out of the way, 
it's very much the lore of the wilderness as well. So you'll find it gathering in great amounts out in the middle of nowhere. And equally, that attracts more wild animals and great wild beasts. In areas that are particularly wild, um, it's noted that a lot of people who live out in those places are more likely to become wild because of that. Because mm. the Warhammer world isn't the normal world. Don't think of it as the normal world. If you go places with the big concentrations of magic, it's going to change you, whether you like it or not. Yeah, and th there's some interestingness to Gur as far as like the subtleties of magic in that uh, I think one of the things that's explained the lore that's really interesting is like domesticated animals tend to be less infused with it because they're not wild. Yep. They're not Correct. part of, but like uh, it, kind of paralleling to our world a little bit, if you were to take a domesticated pig and put it out in the wild, so that Gur starts getting drawn to it, it becomes a feral hog and it would probably get really nasty because Gur would make it even scarier than it is in our world. And hogs are terrifying in our world. They really are. <laughs> Utterly terrifying. Um, uh, anything else that's worth adding? Isolation with cover. Uh, okay, so, so a question Fagoth brought up that I think is good to yeah, ask. Yeah. Um, when you say become wild, you do not mean mutation, like becoming a beast man. Not particularly. That's when the winds go dark and the winds go sour. That's more the area of dark magic, pure chaos itself, rather than the individual winds. The individual winds are, for all they are potentially capable of changing you, um, they're subtle with their changes. They're not heavy-handed. Um, if you use the wind all the time, those changes become more apparent and it reaches the point where if you're a species that is particularly prone to change, like humanity, their wizards become more like the wind and arguably become mutants because of that. Because some mm. of them, their hair color changes, their eye color changes. Some of them will literally grow claws. Some of them will burst into fire when there's no wind around. That ain't normal. That's just yeah. not, not what normal people do. Um, and they're marked in, uh, for example, the role-playing rules as arcane marks, which is a nice mm -hmm. way of saying acceptable mutations. Yeah, <laughs> mutations that you might not get executed for. <laughs> Quite. So just think of it as the wind of ferocity, um, the wind of dominance and brutality. Practitioners of Gur usually have great beards. Well, I would actually say that trappings of civilization, like shaving, is something you'd want to avoid as, as yeah, a beast wizard a lot absolutely. of time. Absolutely. If you're going to be a beast wizard, uh, get that beard out if you're a man. Let your hair grow all wild otherwise. But yeah, absolutely. It's not the wind of uh, civilization. That much is certain. Mm. So let's jump to... Oh, one other thing that's worth oh. spotting about that one. Leathers. You can wear ah, leathers yeah. and it won't impact stuff, which means you can get, as a wizard, minor armor if you fancy. Very true. All right, uh, let's jump to uh, debatably one of the most complicated lores, Hish, the lore of light. Hish, I love this wind. Arguably my favorite. Um, I say arguably. Hish, um, uh, as its name suggests, it's also associated with serpents, but we'll get to that potentially another point. Um, Hish, the lore of light, is the most diffuse. It's the most light of all the winds, and it's almost impossible to not only perceive but to also use. It's an extraordinarily difficult wind to use. It is, however, also the wind of extraordinary destruction. Of all the winds, by far the most destructive. It is what brought the Dwarven Empire to its knees as Hish flooded through the world's edge mountains and caused earthquakes to shatter their way through the old world, pretty much bringing their civilization to its knees, allowing the greenskins to come flying in. Hish is bluntly the magic of pure, unadulterated power. It can literally shake everything apart. 
It is the magic of frequencies, the magic of philosophy, the magic of understanding. You need to be, generally speaking, someone who is exceedingly intelligent, exceedingly insightful and supported to even use the stuff. Humans often have entire choirs singing mm. at correct frequencies just to gather enough of it so that they can actually channel it into anything that's useful. It's a magic of beauty. It's a magic of contemplation, enlightenment. It's also to agree a magic of health. And the big one that many people know for, abjuration, the ability to tell demons to go fuck themselves. Um, it is the undead? magic of pulling apart anything that shouldn't exist. Demons, undead, spirits of various kinds. It is also perhaps contradictory to that, a magic of purity and thus pacifism, a magic of truth. The light wizards in particular are known for their ability to discern truth in others. They're also known for their very cold, very emotionless states as the light magic begins to consume them. Um, light wizards are also known for living for far longer than most of the other colleges, but not all. The one that uh, lives the least long, generally speaking, is the brights. Most brights <laughs> burn up early. They really so burn up early. So a couple um, of questions came up with this that I think are worth addressing real quick. So one is yes. that, uh, yes, a lot of you in chat kind of are pointing at, or either realizing and pointing out that this is why Egon von Horseman is such a big deal and why he he is as terrifying as he is. Mm -hmm. Because he is a light wizard who was bad before he joined the light college, which is yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Egram, uh, Egram has a special place in my heart and in my game that I'm currently running just now. So I don't want to necessarily go into anything because he's he's core to certain things. But mm -hmm. he was the pa the patriarch of that order, arguably the supreme patriarch of the entire colleges. If you believe that particular side story, he's been repositioned in time by multiple authors. So he's a difficult character to pin down with certainty. Um, but what you can see is he was our, the most powerful light wizard in the empire at the time. Light wizard, light magic is known for its holiness and its purity. The fact that he was the one that flipped shows something extraordinary happened. It's not something that could be done without deep contemplation because the light wizards are also seen to be probably the most intelligent. They're not like the gold college that are process driven. They're almost mechanical in how they approach things. Light wizards by comparison have a great greater depth of faith. Their college in Altor, for example, is uh, it's a massive orphanage, really, where they just get people from across the city and teach them how to sing so that they can all gather the Heish magic there for the wizards to use and ensure mm. the Great Pyramid, which is, again, designed to channel down Heish magic, which is so diffuse. It's so difficult to see. It also gathers around holiness in all places. So if you're looking for what sort of characters would have Heish magic around them, very devoted priests, uh, temples gather Heish to a degree, um, and they also uh, bring a certain amount of immunity to the demons because of that, because Heish magic is antithetical to that which shouldn't exist in the real world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, so we we have a bunch of questions coming up. I promise you guys we're going to circle back around to them because they a lot of what Andy just said plays into like stuff with Geomancy stuff, but we will come back. We, yeah, yeah, get, there's, there's the so much. <laughs> let's get through the battle wars. Um, right. So uh, we still have. We done Amber, beast metal. Amethyst, bright. We're celestial, missing. We're missing gold, one. Gray, jade, light. I think we've done them all. Oh, no, we did them all. Yeah, we, we did them all. all. So two okay. wins left to go. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so let's just make sure we do those. The first is Dar, um, which is unfortunately sometimes called black magic, and it's not something that I ever allowed any of my writers to do, um, because <laughs> because it just comes out bad, particularly when you say. 
Dark, dark magic is bad. Light magic, fair stuff is good. Oh no. So first, let's start off with Dar. Dar is arguably the core state of what the winds of magic would be before they refract around reality. This is arguable because there are many who say that this isn't the case and that Dar is a perversion of the winds of magic. You can decide yourself as to what's the truth. Different writers have taken both stances, often in the same book. So don't mm -hmm. think that you will be going in a different direction if you choose one over the other. Loosely speaking, it's the merging of all the winds. It's when the winds themselves become stagnant and stop and don't get to move. They'll collapse in on each other and form into Dar. It tends to be black and sticky. It is the wind of destruction, of dissolution, of rot. It is the wind of your soul corrupting and going wrong. It is the wind of mutation, the wind to a degree of change, but not change in any positive fashion. We're not talking about, oh, our government's bad. We should really get somebody else in. We're talking about just melting the fucking government and melting all mm. the buildings and all the people and cackling while you do it. Dark magic is also, without compare, the most powerful. Now, that mm -hmm. is deeply contentious for people who love high magic because they just don't like hearing that. But there's a reason <laughs> There's a reason that the Dark Elves die down hard in it. And there's a reason that it's avoided by others. The reason is because it corrupts. It just does. It corrupts the real world around you and it also corrupts you as a practitioner. Wood Elves, for example, who have many a dark uh, spellcaster, have a variety of things put in place to try and make sure that they don't corrupt, including having light wizards with them to go, Oi, stop! Um, so <laughs> you're going yeah. bad again. You, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot to be said for uh, dark magic in that, like, there's a reason that a lot of the, like, the the faction lores or, like, the specialized lores that are very destructive and powerful draw from Dar as, like, the basis or were invented using Dar as the basis. Because if you're just, if your goal is just to cause mass destruction or unleash spells of unparalleled power, you're probably going to be relying on Dar. Yep. Absolutely. And, and it's I'll also one other thing. relatively easy to unleash if you're stupid. By far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it, that's, that's the big problem. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's powerful and easy. But the power part is essential for spells like necromancy because you have to break natural law to make ne necromancy work, which means you need an enormous quantity of power. The same goes for demonology, the ability to summon demons into the material realm. It requires an enormous quantity of power to do that. Uh, but again, in both cases, you often require other winds too. Shyish, for example, the wind of death is needed for necromancy. Mm -hmm. To a small degree, you could argue Gyron as well. In the same way, light magic is often needed for demonology. That's the magic of abjuration, but also the most powerful magic for tearing holes into reality itself and shimmering things into existence. It's not just good, it's also bad. Um, so that's demonology. There's one last thing worth saying about uh, Dar. It is also what happens if you're not trained in magic. If you don't really know what you're doing, you just fart around trying to figure out how to use this magic stuff you can see because you happen to be some sort of ma naturally sensitive yeah, magical witches. type. Um, yeah, uh, witches. Witches. Your, your classic witch. You just pull on the winds. You don't really know one from the other. You just yank on it. Um, you mix them up and you try spells out and that forms Dar by its very passage, which in terms corrupts you as a user. 
culture, uh, meaning that most witches in the Warhammer world may start off with the best intentions, but they become cackling lunatics whether they want to or not. And yeah. things go very, very bad. It's why the Colleges of Magic in the Empire, for example, go, oh, you, you can do a bit of magic, yuck them out, slap them into the college and say, only use one win, don't mix it up, because that creates Dar and is bad. Yes, which we will cycle back around to that in a moment. Because um, there are so, there are some very strong contradictions to that. Yeah, so very uh, strong. A couple questions. Uh, so, is Dar the easiest to draw upon without training? I would say yes. Like it's it's what yeah. you if someone accident learned they had magic, didn't know what they were doing, and just started pulling on threads. It's very unlikely they're going to do anything but Dar. Not intentionally. Yeah. It's just it's, not, it's just because it grabbing. mixes. Yeah, it's just you're, yeah you're just mixing stuff. It's a little bit like imagine um, if you're an artist and you get given one color to draw with. And you just draw in red, you're fine. You're just going to draw everything red. Everything's great. Now imagine you're given 10 crayons and you must use all of them at once, but you're not allowed to mix the colors up and draw a face. Plop them down, <laughs> give it a go. Yeah. Just try it. You can't do it. And that's what happens with witches. They just drag whatever comes and they create dar the second they cast. They don't intend to. They intend to do whatever it is they're trying. And often because their uh, senses are so poorly honed there's three senses in particular that uh, view magic their senses are pure purely that badly honed they can't even see that they've created dar they think they're possibly doing good they might be healing people they might be delivering babies they might be doing all manner of good but they leave pools of dar and that over the course of time corrupts everything yep and uh so a couple of questions that popped up so like what what is this what wizards from the old world setting would be using theoretically yes uh, uh, though yes. we don't, on, yeah, but we don't. But they also, won't. Yeah, we we're not yeah, exactly sure won't. where they're going to go with it. Um, uh, hedge. So hedge wizards, I think, fit in a little interestingly in that they do use dar, but they also tend to use. They do a not. Lot. Oh, they do not. They do not. Um, so I'm, I'm going to define two See, types that's of hedge wizards. That's what my gut said, yeah. and I was like, so there's yeah, two types of hedge wizard. Hedge wizard number one is the derogatory phrase that is used by wizards that have been trained or by Sigmarites uh, when they're talking about any old wizard they find out there. And that will include witches, warlocks, weirds, crazy things all over the place. And they call them hedge wizards, but they're not. There's also the actual definition of hedge wizard, which is an old magical tradition of humans where there's wizards that live on the boundary between the liminal space, if you will, between civilization and the wild. And they are able to cross that boundary and also cross into the spirit realm as well. And these are rather ancient uh, practices that have gone back over 3,000 mm. years. And they are almost entirely safe. They're far closer to religious um, practices than they are to magical practices. But they are 100% safe. They do not create dar. They do not really understand the winds of magic in the way that others use them. And they have a certain set of rules and strictures in place that ensure that they never create dar. It's a long convoluted process. It's not for this stream. But cut a long story short, there are human practices that can safely channel magic. Yes. Uh, and we're going to come back to that in a moment when we tackle a different lore. But uh, so, Infe, question here with this. And I would say, yes, absolutely. Like, you're going to use Gur if you're resurrecting a beast. So, like, when at least in little bits and pieces. Uh, yeah, if, if you've got yourself some big, huge, massive creature that's, that needs to be woken up, Gur is the one to get it going. Yeah. So, like, if you're, yeah, the Vampire Coast campaign, yes, you they do want Gur for the whole thing of chasing Aminar, killing him, and then resurrecting him. Um, mm -hmm, that would mm -hmm. be something you would want. Um, so let's get the last kind of main lore out of the Chaos. way with uh, Chaos. So how, 
chaos. Chaos. It's just chaos. That's such a cheeky. Yeah, it's, it's chaos. Chaos. Uh, now, chaos originally was called the Rainbow Wind. Um, in that, what it did was it took all of the winds and safely channeled them together. Now, Kiash uh, was the new name that was brought up. This was much later. I think it was uh, Marion von Stauffer that first did that for them. I'm going to guess he did it for an Inferno article, actually. Um, the same Inferno article that, uh, that said there was more than eight winds of magic as well. So that's a fascinating aside for perhaps later. There's a pink wind, for example, and an orange wind. It's named. Um, but, but that's really obscure lore um, that most people don't really subscribe to, but worth knowing that they do exist. So Kiash is is the most powerful, safe way of using the winds of magic. Dark magic is just the most powerful. It's the atom bomb of magic, where this is the far safer version that isn't going to corrupt your soul. It's, a, it's the good stuff. It's the stuff that the high elves use. It's the stuff that uh, the lizardmen um, uh, use. It's the stuff that I think it's Fen Shi over with the Cathayans, um, right at the very top with them as well. Um, they use it as well. Um, it's it's a very rare magic in that it requires an extraordinary amount of knowledge to uh, properly use because you have to have mastered all eight winds of magic to do it properly. Now, yep. that didn't always reflect in the battle game. In some versions of the battle game, anyone with high magic could take from any of the elemental winds of magic. But in other versions of the battle game, it's just, no, you're a high magic user. You just take high spells. Um but in terms of the overall lore, if you can do high magic, you can do all eight wins because you have to master all eight to be able to channel all eight to then turn them into high magic, into chaos, mm -hmm. to actually form it up into what it is. And if you're wanting to go back to old Egrim, it's the fact that he believed that he could find a way to do that as a human and he, the colleges wouldn't allow him. That arguably was what made him fall. And mm. then you just can't stop. You must stop. Um, mm. yeah, there we go. So, mostly, so, that's your high. I don't think there's anything that's worth yeah, adding. Uh, I, I think so. I think the only thing that, uh, probably for discussion of high, uh, maybe a couple examples of what, what is high capable of that helps it stand out. It's literally mm, so <laughs> high. Uh, I remember when I was discussing when we were pulling together some high spells at one point. And the problem with high is, is that it doesn't actually have its own unique thread because it, it takes from all eight wins and then adds plus one. Mm. So um, I, I've got myself light magic. I can cause an earthquake. Well, I've got high magic. I'll move that fucking mountain. Rawr! Yeah. Um, uh, and that tends to be the tone for um, high magic in general. Oh, I can move up and do stuff. I'll do an apotheosis, fly over, resurrect people, bring them back to life, and be so high up in the sky that no one can stop me. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it tends to be the magical plus one. And I know that that's a terrible way of describing it. And you can pick out individual spells, particularly if you only look at one of the shorter lords with only six spells in. But when you look at the broader lords, you tend to find that high magic can do almost everything just look at all the crazy shit that the high elves can do to begin and then look at the, all the crazy shit to see mazdamundi can do and that is all sourced at its heart inside high magic yeah so uh we do have a bit of a silly question though i'm genuinely curious what your answer to this would be so but so is saruman of many colors is he wielding dar or is he wielding high <laughs> um he would almost certainly be wielding dar 
Yeah, that's what um, I'm so. Well. Uh, so the many colors would be the merging of those colors and creating blackness, rather than the merging of colors um, in sympathy with each other, understanding the nature of light and the way its frequencies work to bring them all together and creating high. You could argue that ha that light magic is almost one step away from high. It's really close, really yeah. close. But to properly mm -hmm. understand high, you need to understand all the other winds as well. Yeah. So. Um... There are, uh, I think, a number of things I've seen kind of pop up in the chat and a number of things have you said that I'd like to take down more, to pin you on more specifically. Uh -huh. So uh, kind of basing off, uh, and I think that that high magic discussion helps lead into it. Uh, we, you talked a little bit earlier about the legendary earthquake that Lord, Lord Kex unleashed that screwed up a lot of the planet uh, because he was like, <laughs> the slumber like, eh, these continents don't quite look right. <laughs> Shift. Um <laughs> Slon, but um, <laughs> so, <fucking> slon. <laughs> yeah, you talked about, uh, and I think you did a actually a really good job of explaining high magic of explaining how that is a major hish event, though it likely has high magic was the source of how it was unleashed. Yes, um, of that, uh, and I think this actually gets into a really important discussion to have that a lot of people ask about. Of, um, <laughs> do you want to talk about the geomantic web for a second? <laughs> <laughs> Geomantic web is a fun thing because um, it's been written in slightly different ways and then wiped out and rewritten again. Um, uh, a lot of people think it's a relatively newish thing and it's kind of not. It's been kicking around for quite a while. Um, so let's go with actually a slightly different start um, so that we can drill down to what came before. Uh, most of us are aware of the vortex of magic, but I'm going to quickly explain it to make sure we've got exactly what it is. What? When magic burst into the Warhammer world from the poles during the Great Catastrophe and everything went wrong, they had to stop the magic from bringing the demons and doing all the awful stuff, and the High Elves created a great vortex of magic. And that vortex spiraled down into the center of Alpharwin and sucked all the winds of magic out of the world. Yeah, so just for everyone's kind of mental imagery, if the world is like this, so you've got the two polar gates, this is where all most magic is entering the world. It literally yep, is yep. all getting sucked around in a big vortex that leads to Ulthuan. So like Exactly. The now, world would look weird from a if you could see magic from space, it'd be a really big cool looking spiral heading towards Ulthuan. But then the elves changed it because they realized that that couldn't contain it. So they mm. built themselves, and this is why I'm bringing this up as an example, a geomantic web. But they didn't do it because they had an original idea. They did it because one existed already. So let's get that into mind first. But what did they do? They went across the entirety of the Warhammer world, and I do mean everywhere. Every last corner of the world that they could get their little noses into, they went to it, and they planted giant waystones. Mm -hmm. And these waystones gathered magic like many vortices and then sent them off to the next set of waystones, off to the next set, causing great confluences of magic across the known world. These in time will become what eventually breaks the world because of the vortex collapsing and the way that these have been corrupted over the course of thousands of years. But that's by the by. So they create effectively a giant matrix of magic over the world. So it isn't a giant swirling mess because that giant swirling mess would cause uncounted terrors and damage. And instead mm. it siphons it down and channels it off in different directions. And it creates magical confluence points across the world, one of which is Altdorf. 
it sits on the center of one of the magical confluences at the center of a web. And that's one of the reasons they cited the Colleges of Magic in Altdorf, because there's so much of all the winds cycling into there, and indeed more there than anywhere else in the empire, and arguably the old world, if you want to go completely empire-centric. Um, so that then channels it all the way over to Ulthwin, where it gets sucked down um, into the vortex and put back into the aether again, into the realms of chaos, if you prefer, or into the divine realms, depending on your individual beliefs. So that's that. But they didn't, as I say, create that originally. Um, what they did was they, they were aware of and copied the existing geomantic web. And this is where things get a little bit more, you know what now? <laughs> um, because the actual answers for this are not just few and far between. The writers who've written them are kind of contradictory. Um, yeah, and I, feel like, I feel like my answer to what's about to come and, out of and, Andy's mouth would be different than what Andy's going to yeah, say. <laughs> totally. And not only are they kind of contradictory, they also uh, have purposely gone a little bit, nah, I don't know what it is, so I've got to write something. I'll just write vague. And they write super, super vague. I don't want to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a what now, and I have to write about this crap. I can do that in a paragraph. And there's a vague thing that works on vagueness. So we've got ourselves a web that was created by the old ones. Mm. Um, that channeled the magic of the world itself. Um, and it was a more subtle, more, let's say, arguably more powerful version of what eventually becomes the Winds of Magic later. Now, depending upon your in interpretation of what that means, depends on what it was. For some, they will suggest that the old ones were creatures that lived both within and without the Aether. They were both material and immaterial. They bridged the two and didn't really understand what was happening in the Aether at all because mm. they were so lost in what they were. Um, and the ma magic that they were drawing was as much etherical as it was material. The fact that it was seeped into the world is nothing more than saying the material world is, is a reflection of the Aether. And by that I mean, if we go to, say, the Liber Necris, there's a lovely little section about what is the soul. And yeah. in there it makes it quite clear that if I, as Andy, was here, one part of my soul would be the immaterial soul, that which powers my being. Another part would be my mind, the thinking part. But one part that's worth mentioning is my body. This is material. And mm. most people, when they think of souls, they think of the stuff that lies over in the aether, where the Liber Necris made it very clear that really isn't the case. Your material right. stuff is a part of your soul. And breaking the material from the immaterial doesn't necessarily mean you've lost your soul. It just means you've lost bits of yourself. Vampires are entirely material. They are here. They only have the mm. material components of their soul. They're broken away from the aether. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because the general uh, arguable belief is that the Warhammer world itself is the soul of the greater aether. And the geomantic web is one way of channeling that. But that is just one of a thousand different interpretations. Um, ultimately, we have ourselves a big thing, what the old ones made, that's full of a sort of magic, okay, right? And it's kind of subtle, but it's sort of not. It's really powerful, but it kind of might not be. Um, and it's arguably the only thing that's saving the world, and it can do nothing. Um, it's, it's, it's a lovely thing. Yeah, so um, this question has come up a few times that I think it's worth addressing. Is when So geomancy is something that Lizardman players talk about a lot uh, because it's talked about a lot with the Slon. They do a lot of it. Um, yeah. it's the old ones are really big on it with the whole breaking the con uh, continents apart and all that stuff. Um, but it's not lore of geomancy would functionally probably just be high magic. Um, um, but it would, I'll, I'll give you a different interpretation if you want. Go ahead. 
um, because we we have one now. Um, Earth uh, has been a massive sticking point because when they created the Winds of Magic, they forgot about it. And it's sort of laying a little bit inside the green wind, sort of maybe, because, you know, that's where life can spring up from your trees and all the rest, and it's flooding through the earth. Um, and arguably, it could sort of sit in metal, sort of. Um, but earth has now been very, very firmly placed in the most unlikely of places. And I really quite like it because it's all involving earthing. And that's a zir. Um, if you go take a check mm. at what they've done with the uh, Cathayan parts. Yeah, the, um, the, the elemental wind of stone. The elemental wind of stone, exactly. Um, so that has opened up, I think, uh, a new way of interpreting Azir, a new way of looking at it. It's not just the bolt from the blue, but the impact and the earth and the earthing process and the earth itself. Um, and that allows you to start looking at the flashing dragon black lines, for example, ley lines filled with hmm. lightning bolts of energy. It allows you to move into a more geomantic web using Azir. I kind of love it. Yeah, that actually, uh, what you said actually just brought up something I wanted to address because it's a really interesting aspect of the lore is that how Earth is used to ground magic. So like there's a lot of stuff about miscasting and ways to prevent miscasting or dispelling is that in the lore, when it kind of gets into the nitty-gritty, it talks about dispelling is them harmlessly grounding the magic into the earth. So, like, someone throws a spell at you, you take the magic, and you shove it down into the ground where it's seemingly absorbed or dissipated or something. I was curious if you uh, could expand your thoughts on that as far... Because that like that's talked about a lot, especially, like, in the old 6th and 7th edition magic items. There's a couple arcane items that talk about that. There is. Um, uh, it's a fun old one. It's a little... It's been rewritten and rewritten so many times. It's a little bit like, just to use the example I had there, in the old, old Ogre Kingdom's um, book, I had an artifact which um, pretty much said yin and yang was light magic and dark magic. And as we now know, that's not the case because they've changed it into something else. Yin yeah. is mm. four of the winds and yang is the four of the others. So yin and yang come out in a slightly different way. And the same has occurred with magic in terms of its dispels. At some point, it was exactly as you described. It was all about grounding it stopping it, dissipating it, often draining it, and effectively because um, the lower hunt is as established as it was before, it wasn't so much grounding it into the earth, it was grounding it into you, siphoning it down like you were a mini vortex um, over an Ulthuin and passing it out into the aether, dispersing it because you were a wizard and you had contact with that, but then the winds of magic became much more external and that didn't make a lot of sense, so a lot of um, descriptions of it turned into I'm throwing my spell into your spell, turning it into a wizard duel instead. Mm -hmm. So um, a, a dispel might be a simple spell that you throw into the center of an ongoing spell. So let's say a bright wizard's trying to throw a fireball. You, as a gray wizard, throw loads of shadows in the middle of it. It's simple. It's not a proper spell, but you're disrupting the archway that's building there, and you effectively dispel it and dissipate its energy by flooding it with a different wind of magic. Yeah. There's only so much. There's only so much space. Um, so it was described as that in a few places as well. And I think that the answer, if we want to be relatively broad, is all of the above. Yeah, because what I'm yeah. saying is, I, I think I like the idea more of the grounding is more of like artifacts or like, it, yeah. the dwarves do that a lot. Like Anvils of Doom will just snatch spells and be like, nope, fuck you, down on the ground. And then yank it into it, pull it down, fucking right. Um, yeah, absolutely. So... Um, I, I do think it's a bit of both, but uh, I would caution for anyone that's um, considering writing their bits or working with the characters, if you're pulling magic into you, you're almost <laughs> certainly causing yourself extraordinary harm. 
Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this lightning bolt from hurting my friends by sending it through my body. Yeah, <laughs> like sure, <laughs> you, you can, but you better be really good. <laughs> um, yeah, down straight. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, so. Kind of jumping off of uh, dispels, a fun thing. Let's talk about rune magic. Let's talk about dwarves. Rune, um, rune magic is I love rune magic because of the precision. Like, I, I think rune magic has a lot of comparativeness to high magic in a sense, but it's very different. But, like, the dwarf yeah. understanding of magic is fascinating. Yeah, so, um, dwarves, uh, I, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction first, just so that we can explain, what, understand what I'm about to say a bit more clearly. Uh, yeah, that's but... that in the Warhammer world, broadly speaking, there's not five senses, there's eight. Um, now, there are much more, because we all have a sense of balance. Um, right. But we're talking about the five classic senses plus three classic etheric senses. Um, and it's worth explaining those just so you explain what, understand what I'm about yeah, to say. Yeah, go ahead. The first one is your intuition. This is the sixth sense. This is your ability to feel stuff around you. And that is the winds of magic, literally. It's not, oh, oh, it's a weird feeling what I have. You are feeling disturbances in the wind. If people are feeling aggressive and particularly angry, if you've got a highly attuned sixth sense, you'll sort of feel the anger over there until sometimes your hackles will raise and you'll feel like something's not right. And each of the winds uh, gives a different response to your empirical senses. Everybody responds to their intuition, their empathy in a different way. No species respond in the same way, but loosely speaking, it's your sense that something else is out there. The next one is your witch sight or the sight or anything mm. else you wish to call it. This is the seventh sense. This is your ability to actually see not just the winds of magic, but spirits and ghosts and all, all manner of other crazy shit. It doesn't let you see into the aether, so don't think it's that. It's a very much a here in the mortal realm sense, not an over there in the divine realms or the chaos right. realms or whatever. Um, but it allows you to see one or more of the winds. Some people can only see one. This is particularly the case for, say, the Wizards of the Empire. They're notorious for only being able to see the, their own wind well and being loosely aware of the other ones. Some can see all eight winds. They can see Dar. Almost everybody can see Dar. It makes you feel so fucking creepy. <laughs> almost when you're sick regular people can almost see yeah. Dar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, walking over a grave, that gives you that sense of Olgu. That's your sixth sense. Um, walking into a graveyard and seeing shifting sands um, drifting down between the various Ravenstones, that's your seventh sense. Seventh sense is not just sight, and it's often interpreted as just sight by people who don't you know, you really think about it. it. It's smell all it. of your senses. You can smell yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, But you can't really touch it because that's the eighth sense. The eighth sense is your ability to actually handle the shit and turn it into something else. And not just with your fingers. It's your uh, almost like your extra fingers. This is um, often called your channeling, your ability to control manipulate and change the winds of magic into form to cast any spell in the warhammer world you need to channel it into a particular shape into a particular form which when the correct word is attached to it will turn it into an empirical outcome will turn mm -hmm. it into a fireball rather than just a thin strand of actually that you've managed to channel in front of you you say the right word on that thin strand it sparks into a fireball and you send it off using your eighth sense so it's worth just saying six cents, seven cents, eight cents. So right. that's your intuition, your ability to feel, that's your seventh sense, your ability to perceive, 
and your eight sense, your ability to control. So dwarves, dwarves cannot see, cannot really perceive, don't really have a sixth sense. And then if you've got a character out there with sixth sense that's a dwarf, you should justify it in a very different way than the classic sixth sense because they just don't have it. They hmm. don't perceive the winds of magic at all. But they know they're there. They do, <laughs> however, they do, however, have um, a, an understanding of it all, but they don't really have an eight sense either. They can't actually channel, manipulate the winds of magic. So they do it using tools. And arguably, they do it using a heavy amount of the gold magic. Um, because gold magic is almost intrinsically attracted to them anyway. They're redolent in the stuff. And it's also the magic of process. It's the magic of the way they think. It's the magic of logical step-by-step -step organization. Um, and it's also the magic of what they are constantly working with. Runes are the same as spoken word to a degree. Um, and by shaping the runes in the right way, it attracts the winds of magic. But it's not just doing that. It's folding the metal in the right way. It's ensuring that you trap the winds into a particular matrix. And they have learnt, or indeed were given at the beginning of time, and have forgotten, depending upon how you want to look at it, mm. um, that the classic example with the dwarf is, you do not have an original thought. Our ancestors did it better. Yeah. They are the ones we should be copying. If you have an original thought, that's chaos. Yeah, which that's a lot of bringing that's bringing something new to the table. Yes, which is why for a lot of like conservatism is so important for the dwarves. And, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that's why the engineers guild. It takes a long time to convince anyone that something's a good idea. Because yeah, and that, and that's almost. Exactly. And it's almost only ever going to be a good idea if somebody goes out there and finds out that one of the ancestors did it first. And they're like, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> That's fine. So they fold it all up. They get the magic trapped within a thing. Then the rune itself will create particular effects. And they have mastered this in a way that no others have because they were so either A, devoid of magic and needed to, or B, were the ones that were given it because they were the ones that were also magically resistant. They could channel and control so much more magic in an area because they themselves could withstand it without change. Where anyone else who attempts to do that sort of runic magic would probably turn into a mutant with the enormous amount of winds that they're binding into a very small, compact area with those runes. Creating a runic weapon is extraordinarily dangerous if you're not a dwarf, and you have to be very careful with the way you're doing it. Elves, for example, are not known for it. They've got loads of runic weapons, but they're not known for their ability to create and fashion on a regular basis new runes. And there's a reason for that. It's exceedingly dangerous. Um, mm. Where the dwarves get off with it because they're magically resistant. And they can deal with um, enormous quantities of stuff, but they're blind to how difficult it should be. Because they don't perceive all those energies. It's like magnetism. We don't see the magnetic waves all over the place, but we can feel it the second we put two magnets together. Yeah, and I, I think it's important of uh, demonstrating... Uh, also, lovely comment for you, by the way. But um, <laughs> um, one of the things that is so impressive of Dwarf Room is a that it's exceedingly dangerous. Like, if you ever get to read a, a story that actually shows off rune smithing, the dwarves acknowledge that it is a absurdly dangerous process, and they're very, that's why they're so meticulous about it because yep. a single wrong strike can be catastrophic. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's also why they're very hesitant to use anvils of doom because the anvils of doom work with live runes, which is very powerful but very fucking dangerous. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, rune smithing is such a fascinating process of if you had second sight, being able to literally see like tendrils or winds or even like a vortices of magic because the way the dwarf build the forge, the dwarf literally build these forges that draw the winds in a particular way. Like, like you build a furnace to draw in heat. And then this dwarf's taking this hammer and like literally grabbing bits and pieces of magic and smashing it into place. place. Yeah, absolutely. Which is um, incredible. I'm, it's incredible. It's marvelous. Um, I, I've always loved it. I've always loved the nature of the way that they uh, build their artifacts because I think it's great. If you're looking for some form of analogy, imagine every time they're throwing that hammer that they've basically got like a one in 1,000 chance of an accidental nuclear explosion um, because <laughs> there's that much magic. Because as we've already said, combining the winds of magic is exceedingly dangerous. It creates dar, but they don't. They layer them on top of each other. They use the correct magics in the correct quantities. Um, and as we've mentioned before, probably because they were given the ability to do that by the old ones. The old ones yeah. were the ones that yeah. almost certainly handed over all the basic concepts of what it was to build runes. And did they make new ones? Yeah, well, yes, Alaric the Mad, notoriously did. <laughs> That's um, but, there was, but he's mad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Alaric so, the Mad um, also notoriously did something else, and that was to combine the impossible, to take two master runes and put them on the same weapon, mm -hmm. which is impossible. A master rune is so powerful, it can't go beside any other master rune because the amount of magic in it causes it to literally go boing like a magnet. It bounces off. Impossible to put more beside it. Um, but he managed to combine two of them. Yeah, so, um, and, and like Andy said, because there were some people asking, it's it's very strongly implied, almost outright stated, that the old ones taught the dwarven ancestor gods, the first generation, how to use these things. There's a place known as the Glittering Realm, which is supposedly where the dwarves originally origi uh, came out of. It's located somewhere near Kalakzorn, more than likely. Um, but it's supposed to be like an otherworldly realm where they learned the secrets of runecraft. Uh, I think it was what Smednir who first brought it out, and then yep. like Grugni in many ways perfected it. Um, but uh, anywho, um, so let's go into okay. So we do have a super chat comment that I do want to address. Uh, thank you uh, for the tip. So he says, Once again, the winds of magic belong to Nagash. All right, there's a statement. But that being it said, is. how does the black pyramid affect the wind? So, kind of like how we talked about earlier with how there are different materials and different like colors and themes that mess with the winds. Nagash basically looked and was like, Hmm, I'm going to take all this wisdom I've learned from Nehekara and the spirits of the desert and the gods and also the dark elves that he tortured. Dark elves. Mm -hmm. And he basically created a dar locus, like a yes. giant, a huge magnet that draws in all the winds and crushes them down eternally. So it draws in, crush, draws in, crush, draws in, crush. And it it's a giant power source. Like it's, yep. it's you know, for us, the concept of, you know, taking a whole bunch of matter and compressing it very quickly causes an enormous amount of energy. It's the same thing. And, but the Black Pyramid stores it. That's a lot of why Nagash was so goddamn terrifying yep. uh, because he mastered that process. Because he's insane, <laughs> but in a in a yeah. fun way. <laughs> yeah, Nagash is awesome. He's one of my favorite cards. I love. Yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, we've definitely had some requests to do a episode on him, and we'll definitely. Yeah, Nagash is great. Uh, so he's he's, uh, he's proper great. <laughs> so a uh, subject a lot of people want to know about, and we're gonna go ahead and dive into it. Is Andy? So there are eight yes. wins. You're, yes. You told me about ten wins. All yes. right. Well, then where the fuck do all these other lures come from? How do I get right. a lure? So of zinch. 
or the lore. We have quite a lot of other types of magic in the Warhammer world. So let's go through the core ones. First mm. is one we've covered, but let's just make sure that we definitely state it, and that's dark magic. Um, dark magic comes in two forms. Those who are using actual dark magic, they're using dar purposefully for an end. Your necromancers, your demons, your chaos worshippers. Um, they use pure, unadulterated chaos magic, dark magic for their spells. But there is a bit of a bridge between our Zinchi, Slaneshi, Nurgli magics, which are all magics that are often described as gifts from the gods, but they follow the, the, the classic wizard model in that they channel in the magic, they speak words that form that magic, and they fire it out, and they can be dispelled. They are similarly blessed as, say, for example, the Skaven, who get theirs from, say, the Horned Rat. They are similarly blessed to say, Hashat, who um, get theirs from their lovely old fiery demon god of horribleness. Um, and uh, they're receiving their, their magic almost as a blessing. But there are other gods who are giving, presumably, pure blessings. As in, I've got myself a priest Sigmar, he comes out and he pulls a fireball from the sky. Now, the question is, is that magic? The answer is, in the Warhammer world, the answer is bluntly yes. Yeah. It absolutely is. You can argue it's not until the cows come home, but you are arguing what is ultimately a futile position. Haish uh, is so diffuse, it's impossible for most to see, and it's impossible for most to dispel, and it's also the magic of holiness. It is the magic that most of the good guy spellcasters are sort of pulling on. Now, does that mean that the god is not involved? No. Mm -hmm. But if you believe the stories that say that the gods withdrew and do not want to come back because every time that they do something in the material realm, it shakes the material realm's very foundations. The only time they'll ever return is at the end of the world, effectively. So it shakes the foundations of the world because it's a material realm. It cannot cope with immaterial stuff being yeah. impinged upon it. If you believe that and accept that is true, then the God has nothing to do with what they're doing. What they're doing is their very nature, their pure belief draws Aish. And then they cast their spell, which is their prayer, their miracle. And it can't be dispelled because no fucker can see the spell in the first place because Heish is so diffuse. And it and Heish is also surprisingly powerful. And it can only gather around those that have pure faith. And they are exceedingly rare and almost all human. Almost all of them. Every other mm -hmm. species that's going on, say, for example, the, the, the Great Maw. Um, that uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're eating away, doing their crazy magic. Magic that they believe comes from the Great Maw, but they are following the same magic process. It can still be dispelled in the same way. Um, the vast majority of Skaven and all the other species, they're basically doing magic that they claim comes from their gods, but ultimately it's just classic magic. The same for the Chaos Gods. They are saying it bluntly. All magic comes from Chaos. We know this. Mm -hmm. And we're channeling it out and using pure Dar. We don't care if we mutate. It's a blessing from our gods. Let's go, baby. Dar's good stuff. Woo! Um, they're fine with it. But we have yet another type of magic to add in on top of all of this. <laughs> um, just to make things even more confusing, as we move towards our great green uh, mass out there, Wah magic. What is that? It is none of the above, yet arguably all of the above. Um, why magic is ill-defined inside the setting because no one really has the balls to define it. But what it definitely is, is self-generated. 
This is orcs gathering or goblins gathering in great numbers and casting spells that they claim come from their gods. They're shamans that are channeling the powers of their gods. They're priests in many respects doing the priesty thing. But their source of magic is the orcs that are with them, is the green skins that are with them. And it only comes from that big gathering of wild energy. It's a very 40k concept that got translated over. This was not always the case for the orcs. They didn't used to be like this. They 100% are now. Now, if you try to apply the Winds of Magic model to this, in many respects, they do the opposite. They, When they come in, they drive the Winds of Magic out from themselves. Um, you could argue that they're pulling in Gur. You could argue that they're pulling in magics, and that's what they're doing, and they're pulling it up. But no book has definitely defined that that's the case. Some have said that it is. Some have said it's the exact opposite. They're like magnets and throw magic out. Um, the best definition is, someone will define it later, Age of Sigmar did it in a slightly different way. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about what we mm. have here in the Warhammer world. And in the Warhammer world, they generate their own magic and their shamans can then channel the energy that was generated like it was a wind of magic and then fire it out. So yeah, green I skins make their own magic. Yeah. So um, one thing that I find really interesting, so kind of talking about the Greenskins a little bit, my readings and understandings is I, I definitely like the idea a lot that Gur has a lot of interest in the Greenskins. Granted, they keep a lot of beasts with them. They keep boars, wyverns, they, spiders, wolves. Like they're, Gur is a lot of their culture. And I think savage orcs have some interesting stuff going on because they they're uh, compared to the rest of them. But they also actually have war paint that can protect them, whereas the others don't. I would uh, argue, though, that if Gur was their primary source, they'd be the most powerful shamans. Mm. I think they are the most powerful shamans, though. Well, they're not. The, <laughs> they're, uh, not. Well, they're, they're equal. For uh, uh, I like my words, equal. actually. Uh, what I will say, though, is I think what's really interesting to kind of think about and consider from the Greenskins is they're not from this world. They're from somewhere else. And yep. it seems implied that the the old ones either made them or and brought them by accident or found them and brought them yeah. by accident. Eighth, eighth edition um, stated it clearly in the uh, core rule book where they arrived by mistake on the old ones vessels. Yeah, spores. Um, so, mm. yes, the spores. So if you believe eighth edition, um, then uh, they are 40k orcs under a different guise. Makes no sense at all for the various types of greenskins across the Warhammer world. So what you could then say was that they were manipulated by the old ones to make sense of them all. And then suddenly it all sorts of it sort of makes sense. But effectively, they're psychic, not magic. Yeah, but what I find if very go by that note. is um, the, the greenskins, they, they definitely, to me, come off as almost like the old ones made them somewhere else and realized, not a great idea. That planet probably got wad. <laughs> so let's go start over somewhere else and accidentally brought them with one old one didn't do his uh his uh uh customs procedures properly <laughs> um didn't get the ship sprayed down but what's so interesting about them is um not only do we have two different forms of magic or and debatably more than that where like the the battle game simplified it into little one big wall but yeah. it uh, arguably, it's even more complex in that we have orky magic with Big Wall, which seems fairly consistent among the different times of Greensins. But goblins get weird. Where we yeah, have, they've got some pretty weird manifestations. Yeah, the and it's like, and then we got the Spider God, who's not mm -hmm. Gork or Mork at all. It's a completely separate entity that also gives them magic. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, so it's worth saying that um, uh, the gods in the Warhammer world are real. Don't don't think they're not. Um, and that certain gods, if they are real, 
probably do make some of impact on the world. So that means that we can answer the Gork and Mork thing with a Gork and Mork's foot literally popping down and doing the thing if you wish it to be that. that it's so ill-defined that all of those answers could be correct. If you want to keep it as simple as possible, orcs just generate their own magic, and instead of creating Dar, they somehow process all the winds of magic around them and create Gorky Morky magic, which can then be channeled by the shamans. That is the, let's say, the Occam's razor result, um, mm. which is you're going for the most obvious answer. And that will mean that uh, whatever Gur is around, whatever green magic with Gyron is around, just all gets funneled together and gets gathered about. The problem with it is that you've got to make sure that if you're describing it to others, that it's not magic that other wizards can use. It's been turned into something new. Um, yeah, why you, you energy need, is not magic. Yeah, you need to explain how the green skins are either corrupting, perverting, or providing their own form of magic. And why, yeah, totally. why when they gather up and they get excited, it becomes a tempest. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Like they, it, they're a very weird species. Like they're full they on bizarre. Um, and it's they, not just they break that it creates all the a tempest. Yeah, they do. And it's not just it creates a tempest that can be used by their shamans. It also changes their psychology. They start to gather together, of anything, even more and pulling together around strong figures. It makes the strong figures even stronger. Even yeah. those that aren't necessarily priests, shamans, whatever you, a particular line you want to go with, um, are manifesting in a different way. Some orcs are bulking up like crazy as they're getting whacked. Where does all this extra material come from? And in the Warhammer world, the answer is mostly magic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people ask like, oh, why don't why don't the orcs get big like the beast in 40k and stuff? It's like, no, they would. Like if the Warhammer did, world, I'm... if they had enough time and they got yeah. a wall big enough going, it's just that they really can't go as far because there's only one planet <laughs> for them to fight over. True fact. And it's also worth saying that some of the orcs in the Warhammer world are still pretty fucking huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of people <laughs> don't under it like total war it, it, if i could teleport you into total war and put you next to grimgore i think you might appreciate how big he actually is um, but um yeah. in any event so okay we've talked about green skin magic a bit it's weird not very well like you can have a lot of fun with it exploring it yeah. we've talked about how um you have these almost like priestly lords where the gods are getting involved like um so what i want to ask that's interesting about like say zinch magic or the magic of hashut and stuff like that is would you say it's more of as far as like because a lot of them are explained as they don't necessarily you know they don't have formal teaching they just kind of yeah. it just kind of comes to them they're more shamans is that more because like when they're casting magic the god is funneling it for them and kind of causing it to appear in a certain way or putting ideas in their head about like be say um, this. So Zinch so in particular um has a lot of lore associated with each one of the spells being um almost a part of Zinch that literally worms its way into your head. Um so you might get a Tazarlua Dalika, whatever spell sticking in your head. You literally can't get it out. It's stuck in there. The Chaos God has put it there. You can never use it, but it's tempting because you know if you do, your opponent will melt. Um and you're like, oh, I don't want to say it, I don't want to do the thing. Zinch in particular is known for this. Um, it's a gift from the gods in particular. And the other gods are not really any different, but there is a certain amount of lore attached to all of them. And by that I mean that you can learn the spells not just by, like, random mutation, effectively. A gift 
from the God is received knowledge, but you can also learn them by reading books, by mm. making your way through ancient grimoires, which perhaps has an old spell of plague, or perhaps something that will turn everyone into a frothing maniac. Yeah, or or being, I, I can even imagine like being passed down by like traditions or stories. Oh, or, absolutely. You know, Particularly or, if you go to see the Forbidden Library. No, I, one, of my, one of my favorites is like ogre magic. Um, a lot of people, I think, miss out on a lot of the fun descriptions on how spells are cast because it kind of implies that there's some there's like an exchange like you do x and the god rewards you with the knowledge of how to yeah. do y and the ogres talk about all their spells are them literally sacrificing different bits to the god like oh, brain they're, goblet, oh, they're, they're literally brain. eating brains and the great ma's <laughs> like oh i like that here <laughs> <laughs> let's get out my good old gastronomical magic yay yeah, astromancy is it. such a hilarious <laughs> and yet terrifying lore of magic like i love can, it Anyone that's bored, <laughs> go read the spell descriptions. They are genuinely terrifying. Like Toothcracker is like, well, or, uh, like they have spells that are literally like they eat some bone marrow and the regiment of guys in front of them, all their bones just break. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> it's like good god. <laughs> um, oh, so, love it. Yeah, uh, so this is a really good question. Uh, Song Power asks: Are the winds of magic alive, or are they just wandering about? Right. So, um, life in terms of uh, uh, the I guess would mean are they sentient? Is probably a better way to phrase it. Right. So, sentience is light. Is light magic? Mm. That's where sentience is, in many respects, dropped. If you're looking at the overall winds, if there was no light magic in the Warhammer world, no one would really have their intelligence. It's where intelligence is grounded. In the same way, if there was no uh, light magic, no one would have their heartbeat pumping everything around, and they'd have no. They'd just be mm. lassitudinous, and they'd fall apart. Um, in the Warhammer world, everything's sort of laced with magic, and it changes everything. And light is where sentience lies, and light is in everything. It's everywhere, and it's diffused. So anywhere where there's a concentration of magic, sentience follows. So if you get a big stagnation of magic and there's light around it, things can literally grow out of there and basic intellects can grow. If you get a great convocation of a single wind in one area um, and there are people worshipping it, that draws light to it and gives it sentience. Sentience is drawn to it by the very act of worship or by the very act of belief, or sometimes just by the nature of the shapes of things, because light magic is channeled by particular shapes, pyramids in particular, um, which drag light magic, the hardest one. There's a reason that Kemri has its big black pyramid. It's not a black block. It's a pyramid because that's what pulls down yeah, well, the height. And it's, it's the hardest one to pull. It has to be that shape. All the rest are much easier to gather. Light is hard. Yeah, um, that's, so that's why Nehekarns are so obsessed with the lore of light. It's divine. Like that's why no. they did all the pyramids and stuff because they're trying to get those Nehekaran gods, and that's that is that relationship. One hundred percent. So, uh, are the winds themselves sentient? So this is a difficult question to answer neatly. You can see that the winds of magic can have sentient parts. As in, could you have an element of one of the winds be sentient? Yes. But is the wind as a whole sentient? That would then put it in the realm of a god. It wouldn't be a wind anymore. Right. So the next question is, are they demon gods? And in some parts of the lore, they say that there are eight demons that blow out into the world. 
I've written a bit myself. Drop that into the Tome of Salvation because it fit there really well. Inside the Tome of Corruption, they also make those sort of loose potential suggestions that there's eight demon gods that work beneath the other gods. And that pulls back an even older lore where each one of the winds used to be associated with one of the chaos gods. For example, um, the gold wind and the blue wind used to be Zinch's winds. The very first iteration of that, White Dwarf number... Maybe 114, I'm going to guess. I'm going to say 114. Might be 113. Doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, directly associated, the purple wind, that was directly associated with uh, Slaanesh, for example. Um, so each of the winds were associated with different gods at some points. So you could say that if you wanted to hark back to that lore as a modern writer, you'd have some foundation for saying that. You could have some foundation for saying that the winds themselves are nothing more than fragmented parts of the Force Chaos Powers. I think it's probably bobbins, but it's certainly a really fun a fun thing to dive down into if you want to look at the old lore and see how it's been repositioned. Um, you can say, though, that uh, elements of those winds exist in a variety of different forms and that the winds themselves have gathered around and incarnated when the winds go mental. Too much of the wind everywhere. And they gather around certain individuals because they did that in the end time. Yes, and uh, and this kind of ties into as far as like the the little tidbits of sentience and also the elements coming alive. There are elemental spirits in Warhammer Fantasy. Like there are, there are full on just elementals, which are just embodiments of the winds, um, which I very strongly think we will get to see more of. Um, they've actually been explored more and more thanks to Cubicle Seven, where at the very end of Warhammer Fantasy we had the incarnate elementals introduced, which are giant masses of one of the winds. Where they they only gave us three originally, being beast, death, and fire, um, but they're like just out of curiosity. Do you know? Do you know if the beast one got added to the Middenheim books? I uh, commissioned it to it go is. in there. Yes, it yeah. is excellent. The, the, so the, the bloody hidesman is in the uh, Middenheim book, and uh, uh, if I recall correctly, it was weird that he is in the book. I don't remember if they gave him a profile because they gave him. I think they did, but they also put his profile in the Winds of Magic book. I think he's in oh, both. Okay. Random. Um, but yes, the Bloody Hidesman is in both books. Um, um, At least somewhere. Yeah, and they also added, I think, all the other ones to the Winds of Magic book. But in any event, um, so they gave us three originally, but there's one for all eight of them. Um, they're they're talked about in the lore. They have different, uh, and they're they're terrifying. They are extremely powerful, reality warping nightmares um, that like only an idiot would try to interact with. Um, and it's like, worth saying that they're not new. Yeah, they're kind of like they're. I think they're as close as you can get to a god, <laughs> just wandering around, walking the martyr. Yeah, totally. And don't think they're new. There's been the concepts of these walking elementals since um, like Warhammer Third Edition and Warhammer First Edition fantasy roleplay as well. They had different names back then. The uh, Viadag, for example, the element of life um, mm. that would be then translated into an element of life magic instead and would be effectively exactly the same entity um uh, the same with an element of death which was in there as well um and they can be manifest as elemental uh creatures uh here and i think they're pretty damn spiffy yeah and there's even lesser ones too uh which they're starting to explore and i would argue that if araby one day hopefully gets an update araby would have a lot of interaction with the lesser elemental spirits where it's like all over the place yeah jinns are almost certainly elemental spirits of light and like ifrits are probably elemental spirits of fire um That's and stuff like cool. that um and that would be a very rational way to explain those and also because th they would still have character and they would still be entities that the Arabians captured and drew the you know uh, knowledge the magic from. 
which well, is one of the orange magic. Yeah, one of the um, original um, attempts to explain Araby um, and also to a degree the lands of the dead and why they were the way they were was that the further away you got from the poles, the less that magic was freely blowing because you were further away from the source of magic. So um, there was a lot of talk about Arabians using elementals, using jinn, using various types of spirit, for once for another word, to empower their magics. So rather than them being the spellcasters, they had all of their elementals around them that allowed them to be spellcasters per se, which is quite fun. And that is also one of the reasons why the Nehakarans in particular were so reliant on their divine magic over traditional magic and um, had found a method of pulling down high in great quantities, a magic that's normally very difficult to get hold of, and then manipulating that and why they were such a religious people in general. And I think that was quite a nice tidy way of answering it doesn't mean that they'll stick with that as they move into different iterations so yeah so we have kabanda wandering in here my least favorite character <laughs> <laughs> he asks in all caps while i could ask him myself is corn anti-magic or just anti-spells does he hate magic itself or does he see spellcasting as cowardly anyway skulls thank you <laughs> <laughs> for the throne of corn okay so there's multiple ways to answer this one. Let's jump on the obvious one. Um, the core question there, is he anti-magic or anti-spells? Yes. Um, uh, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the, the god himself um, has famously, multiply, repeatedly shown himself to be both anti-magical and anti-spells, which is hilarious because to summon up corny demons, you would assume there would need to be magic of some sort that there would need to be some form of ritual. And the answer is yes, but not a magical one. Because mm. they, you you summon up those great bloodthirsty demons using a variety of other means. Could you summon them with magic? Yes, demonology could do it. And that corn would almost certainly hate you for doing so. That doesn't mean that uh, demonologists wouldn't do that because demonologists are crazy motherfuckers who yeah. are summoning <laughs> demons, for goodness sake. They'll happily summon demons that the gaming gods themselves would rather were not there. Um, but for your corny cultists, completely different kettle of fish. They're working on far more material things. They're working on magical artifacts, arguably. Or if you go back to the old version of corn, they were using technology. Um, in the old version of corn, if you got yourself a corn army advancing on you, you likely had las cannons in there for fuck's sake. Um, they're, they're giant, huge, massive demons. A lot of them were made of metal. Um, and a lot of the big war machines that you see in 40k were also in Warhammer. Big scorpion-like demon well, hey, I mean, engines making their way down. Still have like the have grinders, juggernauts, yeah, skull totally. <laughs> They're all there. And, there's, um, and the original uh, thought behind that was zero magic, pure tech. Because that was their big advantage. They had tech. Um, and that got really strongly suppressed over time as they tried to give Warhammer and 40k their own individual flavors and discreetly part them aside from each other. Nobody wanted to see heavy bolters on Warhammer battlefields. Well, I, I, I say nobody. A lot of people want to see that. <laughs> I, I, will, I will staunchly tell those people, go home to 40k and get out of the fantasy. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> um, but that used to be what 40k, uh, the uh, good old corn side was. And the more you killed, the more chance your demons popped up. Because, you know, corn loves the blood and he doesn't really care where it comes from. And that was the ritual. 
The ritual was just the slaying. Yeah, it, and the it, slaying brought the demons. It seems in a lot of the more recent lore, like uh, being which was explored as well in Total War Warhammer Three with the Corn Cultists, that they're almost kind of taking more of a a religious priestly angle to it, where it's like they're not wizards. But they're like unleashing they're rituals worshiping. and stuff that yeah. and worshiping to rip open a portal that gives that gets corn's attention enough that he unleashes some demons for them. Totally. Um, it's it's and uh that works very well with the existing thought process of the demon gods, the chaos gods, your ruinous powers, so to speak. Um, they are more than happy to touch the material realm because they want to destroy it. That's their plan. But for whatever reason, they can't under unless there's certain specific circumstances in place. For example, the correct ritual, for example, mm. the correct spell, or some great waxing of magic where there's just enough magic for them to reach out and touch. And the closer you are to the gates, the more likely you're going to be affected by them and their individual touch and mutate. Blessings of the gods or just chaos and what it is. All right. So there are some more uh, questions and lures we need to get through. Uh, so uh, one that I think is relatively easy to answer, but I'm curious what you're going to say, because when I, to all of my research, there is talk about something called blood magic, which to my understanding is another word for dark magic, as opposed to a genuinely separate lore. Yeah, um, I think so too. Um, we were, when I was putting together my first stab at the magic book, um, there was some bring up for that. And I was intending on conflating it then. Um, other people may have done other things because I've not caught up with the most recent books and what was um, released for, say, for example, on the roleplay side. Um, and that would be one way of viewing it. Another way um, would be to look at the very nature of the human corpus and the soul that it presents and drawing the uh, physical spirit out of it and using that. Um, and that, I think, could make for a really interesting alternative view of magic and the ways that you could use it. And it would tie quite closely through to what the ogres do. Um, mm. because in some respects that they're they're using body parts um, to say, look at me, God, give me what I want, crunch. Um, and there are certain things you could marry through to there, but I can't say that I have a strong opinion on that one. Yeah, and I and people in chat are pointing it out and that if they're going to expand it, the Naga of Koresh will probably be where that gets expanded because they are talked about Good idea. excessively of using blood magic. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens with that. But yeah. from everything that I've ever read in like Black Library and Army books and stuff, it just seems like it's usually like, oh, Dark Elves are performing blood magic. And it literally just seems like they're sacrificing people to fuel dark magic, which is not unusual. Yeah. Um, um, oh, dark Elves are a funny old one because they are dark magic to their core, but they use dark magic in a variety of ways that most certainly the lore doesn't recognize, but they do. Um, dark Elves use necromancy. They do. Look at mm. what the look at all the spirits that they've got hanging around, swirling souls around the great cliffs of Har. I can't forget which one it was. It's not Harganeth, it's the other one. Doesn't matter. Oh, one of the Har's, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is really annoying me now. I'm going to look it up afterwards because I'm annoyed. Um, but they've got souls, and that's necromancy. They're using dark magic to do necromancy. They can do necromancy. They taught the gash dark magic. The core's concept of necromancy came from the Dark Elves, and then Nagash took it in a completely different way and literally didn't manifest just spirits, but empowered them to create skeletons of re reformed bodies mm. because Nagash was a mentalist um, and took it in a completely different direction. Uh, but yeah, the Dark Elves do pretty much everything with their magic. Um, I would not really worry too much about 
words blood magic being used beyond the fact that they've got tons of blood rituals, which they use in a variety of ways. Yeah, and that's I think that's also why you'll see that phrase used a lot in like Hagrid and chaos. Oh yeah, Hagrid. Yeah, probably Hagrid. Um, so um, uh, a different kind of lore of magic that I think is worth addressing, um, though I don't think it's as different as people might suspect it is because there are some interesting truths behind it. What about the lores that seem like they come from the land, such as the lore of Athaloran or the the two lores of Kislev? Okay, so um, Athaloran is nothing more than a twist of the existing lores. Um, I, I don't think the lore of Athalorin is anything more than a different set of spells that uses the existing magic with its overabundance of Gur, its overabundance of Gyron, and manifesting them with a whole host of new spells. Um, you can argue that it's an entirely different thing, but I don't think you need to. There's no real reason to do so. Yeah, I would agree. Where, where on the other side, it's a completely different kettle of fish. Um, the lore of ice is one of two things, both of which I've written into the game, and they contradict each other. <laughs> um, and it could be something else entirely on top of that. So let's go through the ones that it could be. Right. So number one, it's another wind of magic. Here's one example of how that can make sense. Um, the winds of magic, as we've been told, there's eight of them, and they are universal. Everybody sees them, perceives them, but most can't see the light wind. Most can't do the light wind. To many, there's only eight. They just that's that. Uh, there's only seven. Pardon me. There's not eight because they mm. can't see Aish. Aish is so beyond them. They just can't even consider what that wind in the slightest. To some, the grey wind is really difficult. There's only really six, and so we go down until you get some wizards who only see one. Now the elves have long been known for not necessarily telling the truth about what everything is. And they have on more than one occasion said that there is a spectrum. It is not simply eight. It is a far more complicated circle than the eight we perceive. And this has got grounding inside the existing mm. path. For example, I mentioned that there was Sleeve, the pink wind of magic that's so difficult to see. It's a, it's a magic of the mind. It sits above Heish and arguably has been conflated with Heish. You've got Orch, which is the orange wind of magic, where Gur would then be brown. Um, Orch is mentioned in a couple of places, only two, as I recall, um, but does exist. And in Kislev, you could have Kishel, which would be the ice wind of magic. Um, now, how could you justify that? There's multiple ways. For example, let's say there are eight demons that work beneath the gods that are blowing in the magic from the world. One of them could sit beneath Kislev and perhaps has rebelled and is Mother Kislev flooding the area around it. Kislev is in a state of almost constant ice and permafrost, but it's on exactly the same parallel as the Empire. No reason for it. There's something going on in Kislev. Mother Kislev is quite different from the rest of the various old world nations and beyond around it. So mm. one way of responding that would be to say there is just another wind of magic. It's coming from a demon. It's coming from a god. It's coming from something. It's Mother Kislev sits beneath there and she's channeling it up and she's giving it to <laughs> ancient her widow. <laughs> yeah. it, The ancient widow, exactly. The ancient widow. I named that the ancient widow um, way, way, way back when, um, when I was writing the Kislev book a bajillion years ago. Um, so the ancient widow is your next one. And the ancient widow could be a spirit of the land, could be a demon. It could be anything else. What you can say for certain is that if you go by the uh, ancient legends of the ice witches, they came from beyond the World Edge Mountain. They were sitting on the other side somewhere, presumably north of where the Chaos Dwarves are just now. Eastern Step. And they were, they, yeah, the Eastern Step. They're sitting up there doing their thing, and 
and the ancient widow, Mother Kislev, calls them. So they come in and approximately a thousand years ago, kick ass, chew gum, and wipe out a massive chunk of the empire, because this used to be the empire's land. Mm -hmm. They take over what used to be Ostland, what used to be the land of the Ungols, the Ropsmen, and all the other tribes that were there. They take out the Ostermarkers, weaken them so much that the Talibic land pretty much takes over Ostermark for hundreds of years, rules it. Um, uh, they swipe in, and for a thousand years, we've got ourselves ice witches, only witches, that, um, depending on the lore you use, some of them got big beardy ice shamans as well, depending on the lore you want. But mm. only ice witches. That, I remember playing a computer game with that ages ago. <laughs> um, but I turned it all into only women. Um, it was me that made the choice. Um, I had a discussion with Games Workshop and said, I want to do this. I gave the reasons why. And they were like, go. So I wrote all of the witches in the Kislev books. Um, and uh, when we did that, and all that lore was written for that, the intent behind it was that there was something underneath Kislev that was providing them with the ice magic. It could be a rogue wind of magic, or alternatively, it could just be a rogue god or a rogue demon. It was not answered in the book. I obviously had my own preferences as to what it was, but it wasn't answered so that other people at a later date could come in and, I don't know, do what Total War does with it and turn it into something slightly different again. And then, presumably, when they release it as an army list for the old world, to do something different yet again. Um, and that's how it works with the iterative nature of Warhammer's design. You try to rather than confine future authors, you try to give them loads of cool that they can go, well, that's the bit I like, and then mm -hmm. run with it. Um, so I, when, we, when I created that part of Kislev, I purposefully didn't nail it down so that others, if it was decided that it was a good idea, could. Um, but I did nail down that ice magic could put, that had a source, where previously ice magic had no source. Uh, it was introduced in the uh, fourth edition Armulus for the Empire, um, with Catherine, um, Zarina Catherine having it, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. But there was zero justification for where it came from. Um, and when Gav Thorpe came in and did the same thing and discussed some of the ancient ice queens and all the rest, again, zero justification for where it came from. So it was nailed down in the Kislev book for Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition that it came from somewhere without defining exactly where. You want it to be the land, you want it to be a spirit, you want it to be a god, you want it to be a demon. It could be all of those. But to conclude it all, the Gospodars are, by definition, much like probably the Tudigans, a chaos tribe, if you want to view it as such, in that that's where they came from. Mm -hmm. Now, they might, have, they might have become good guys. <laughs> <laughs> but they came from what would be called, by most imperial scholars, a chaos tribe from the chaos waste, the very edge of it. Yeah, so uh, fun little just comment there from Warrington Crescent. <laughs> would have to be a very powerful mirror, but that would actually be really fun. Um, and for those, uh, yeah, and the lore of Tempest is a new lore, but it's it's literally just the lore of ice, but in the air. <laughs> like, it's just, it's a delineation of the lore of ice, which I, I like a lot. Like, the idea that, oh, yeah, ice storms, Tempest, like, you just move it off the ground. <laughs> um, uh, so then we have uh, some other Hags. Hags. Yeah, hags. so Hags. I created uh, them, too. <laughs> so hags, Spirits. <laughs> uh lores that seem to work with entities yeah that the uh let's loosely define the hags because i created them whole cloth um they didn't exist before but i was desperate yeah. absolutely desperate to mix up the magic as it had been presented in both warhammer the battle game and the fantasy roleplay game because uh the 
many fables and the lore that what Kislev was drawing upon were redolent with spirits in a way that, for example, had been loosely played with with wood elves, had been loosely played with with high elves, had been loosely played with with generally elves, really. They're the ones that are generally doing the spirity thing, but have been completely ignored as if those spirits just decided to walk away from humanity, um, yet simultaneously saying that humanity had ancient forms of magic. So I was very keen to show that humanity had ancient traditions of magic that were not laced full of chaos, that they had ancient forms of magic that they could do successfully. And that's where the hags were originally founded from. And then later on, the hedge witches that came later. I had another, I think, six or seven witch lords that I planned to write. The second edition came to an end. Um, so what are they doing? They are loosely drawing um, magic from the spirits of the land. And they also believe in the ancient widow. They also believe in Mother Kislev. Um, but in a very different form, and all of her children, and using those children to allow them to fight off against the worst that comes from the north. Um, they are the Ungol uh, side of the Gospodar Ungol uh, issues mm -hmm. over in Kislev. Um, and uh, to quick, uh, quickly sum it, they are awesome. <laughs> I, yeah. love, I love the hags. <laughs> Has Andy heard about uh, did you I Mother Ostenka is new, correct? Yes, yes. Um there was a whole bunch of mothers added to the Kislev book, but um that was that uh, I think created by Andy Hall actually. Yeah. Um, okay. And hopefully, I'm pretty sure. hopefully we'll see her soon. I, I'd love that. Um I've got a lot of ancient uh ancient hags. Some of them are proper ancient. I love them. So uh Bella Baba asks a question that I know the answer yeah. to, but I think is worth talking about is can you draw a spell from more than one wind at once? Yes. There's actually, uh, for anyone that wants to read about it, I, I want to say, oh gosh, I can't remember if it's in the fourth edition Winds of uh, Winds of Magic or if it's in the second edition Realms of Sorcery. Or maybe it's from the Ubershrike book. I don't remember. Somewhere <laughs> there is a there's an adventure hook about a group of wizards from the Colleges of Magic who could channel more than one wind. And they started writing down spells using more than one wind, but they knew they were going to be in a shitload of trouble if they got caught. So they yeah. hid their book. And I think it actually turns up at an auction as an adventure hook that you can try and get your hands on. Yeah. So can you? Yes. Um, when you merge magic, it almost always causes dar. Are there ways to avoid that? Yes, there are. I mean, look what's happening over at Cathay. Uh, they're effectively using four winds and finding methods of combining them to create a new hole out of them. They're taking the elemental winds and combining them to create a new hole. Um, and that's good because it shows that it can be done. Is it dangerous? Yes. The, the elves tricked the empire into only channeling one wind. Depends what you mean by trick. They made them safe. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, it, you can't make a mistake if you only channel one. Yeah, it's worth noting uh, with Cathay as well that um, the Cathayans are very strict about humans are not allowed to use the lore of Yin and Yang. Only the Shukanguns can because they have yeah, dragon totally. blood in their veins, which seems to make them more magical and they live longer. So they have time because it talks about in the Cathayan lore, you have to master high magic first. Once you've mastered high magic, then they teach you the secrets of the lore of Yin and Yang which is, well, they teach you one of them. You don't get to know both, yeah. um, which is really fascinating. And um, I'm really glad that they also, like, you know, show us which lords are which. Like, the lore of Yin, I believe, is Amber, Amethyst, Shadow, and Metal. And then... Yes, it is. Yes, yes it and is. then the lore of Yang <laughs> is Fire, That's Life, water, Fire, Light, and... Stone uh, light. 
whoever the so, hell. So Azir, Azir Stone. Yeah, yeah, in heavens. Yeah, 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 yeah that's it. <laughs> which is which is very very fun and helps inform a lot of really cool things about those lores. And we're even learning about some things they could do with it. Like it's been revealed in the newest short story that the Moon Empress learned how to create the Onyx Crowman from the lore of Yin. Like they are elemental creations of Yin, which is nuts. <laughs> and also, and I think, very I think wild and awesome because um, yeah, oh, it's they're great. Yeah, they're taking things in a new direction, and that's ultimately why the previous writers wrote what they wrote, so that someone else can come along and say, well, what about if I combine that and make something new? And that's why I love Warhammer. It's just crazy. Yeah, so yeah you can absolutely have spells that drop from multiple wins, and those spells can get pretty crazy. Like, they yeah. can do some weird shit, um, but, like, in really fun ways. And there's a lot of really... Um, uh, and that's also can lead to like a lot of things like magical constructs or elemental creations like the Onyx Roman are not constructs in. Well, they are constructs, but not like in a sense that they are inhabiting something. They are spirits um, that do not have like a physical. Um, they're not like fin beasts, for instance. Mm. Can you bring um, up these guards comment? Because I think that yes. that's a really, a really good one. Um, so, but are dragons pre old one race? Yes. On the planet, yes, and as such, made more mundane creatures. No, um, they, they that's the big one. Dragons the are magical to, as fuck. dragons are magical <laughs> as fuck, and because they are, that means we you know that the geomantic web that the old ones created was also magic as fuck. Um, yeah, what they were working on is a world that is not mundane. When the flood, the winds of magic came flooding through, that was just different. Um, yeah, and possibly releasing everything that was trapped and making it different but yeah. not mundane initially there are some very very explicit like not hands there just flat out say the warhammer world had magic before the old ones came to it they did not mm -hmm. invent magic in it now it had a lot less magic than it does now or different yeah or at least different magic yeah now. yeah um, or contained yeah. perhaps yeah most evidence seems to suggest that there was pr there might not have been winds um but if there were mm -hmm. winds they were like very very tiny little like holes um somewhere but they weren't these yawning giant fuck you portals um yeah, that are just I agree. deluge you know now which is the problem um, yes like demons more than likely demons probably couldn't have manifested back in the day at least not without like really weird circumstances. It seems like a lot of the magic was contained within the earth, um, yeah. which is where, you know, the geometric web is and the geometric web, yeah. like to, to put it clear for people, it is obscenely powerful compared to almost every other form of magic. Like the slon, when they want to use the big boy spells, they pull on the geomantic web. They don't use it for everything that, but like if they want to shift the continents, that's a geomantic web spell. They're going to pull from that. Now, whether that's because it's more of a storage vessel that just has a lot of magic or maybe because it's a more powerful form yeah. of magic, I don't know. I, I think if we're looking at it in terms of how most modern writers will make it, it will just be a, a giant bank. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's basically how they'll write it. Um, and I, I remember reading something. I can't remember how long ago this was now. Um, it was reasonably early in the whole geomantic web thing. Um, as to what it was doing and what it potentially was. And it was effectively like one gigantic enforced storing of chaos. Um, chaos does not naturally occur. It just doesn't. Dar does. Dar, when the winds of magic merge and collapse and stagnate anywhere, particularly around old broken waystones, for the, those of you who were here at the beginning of the uh, stream, um, Dar just collects. And Dar can sometimes solidify into warp stone naturally without it having mm. to come from elsewhere. 
Dar is nasty stuff. But chaos doesn't exist naturally. It has to be formed. And you could argue the geomantic web is that. It's one enormous web creating and storing chaos, which can then be unleashed at particular points. But to do so is to use it. So yeah. you only want to use it in the most dire circumstances. Rogan, the answer to this is yes. <laughs> I'm not going to get like super into it because like time, but like, yes. <laughs> Andy wrote some really cool stuff on that. We have. A, yeah, I, I did. I wrote the Harmony of the Sphere section. <laughs> yeah, there's a yeah. there's a channel. Yes. There's, there's a video on the channel about planets and stuff. But yeah, like the old ones, there's a reason they moved the planets to being a very exact harmony. There's It was not because they were like, oh, that's aesthetic. No, there's a very specific logic behind yeah. it. Yep, yep, um, yep, yep. Now, we don't necessarily understand what the cause of, or like what the result of what they did is, but they did it. Just like how the old ones shifted the continents around. Like the Warhammer world was originally Pangea. It was one supercontinent. And the old ones came and were like, mm, and they cracked it and split it all up, um, which pissed off the dragons a lot. Fun fact. Um, <laughs> they were not thrilled with that, along with a number of other decisions. Um, if you want to um, uh, try and figure out what that whole thing is, think of it like a giant set of gears. Um, they're all connected together. They're all working towards one thing. And if you wanted to find something they were doing, you could argue that the whole thing is set up just to make the geomantic web work. Yeah, which is a reasonable thing. Like the geomantic web was probably not nearly, I, I think it actually explains maybe in the old lizard, uh, one of the lizardman books that the geomantic web was not nearly as efficient and the old ones made it obscenely efficient yeah. towards some greater plan that you know was the great plan, which debatably seems to have been to kill chaos but obviously didn't work out <laughs> super well um all right so um getting on to some other questions so this one keeps coming up so let's address this this is a new lore of magic uh the lore yeah, of yeah. The i know the one um yeah. andy got any thoughts on it yeah i do um it's clearly i mean clearly at its heart it's your parts of the caribbean lore. yeah man. <laughs> that's what it is but because of that it's clearly at heart necromantic sorta um but it's got um, so much yeah i don't know if andy's had fun uh look or had the chance to delve into like a lot of the little hints that are noted but it does seem to be very heavily linked with stromfels as well yeah um the god um and when when you're looking at things like this these are the the, the great joys of the warhammer world because these sort of lore should be all over the place Mm. Um, and when I was writing it, I got constantly told I couldn't add those extra lores because they weren't in the battle game. And it took some significant arguing to eventually get things like ice magic added, then the lore of the hags added, then the lore of, say, hedge witches added and similar. And this sort of thing should be the norm because the Warhammer world is deep, complex and varied. And different people in different parts of the world will be creating magics according to their individual needs and the way that magic itself will manifest around them. Undead folks working in the middle of the sea full of gyron are going to be creating big <laughs> undead, swishy-washy magical shit that does that. So what do I think it is? I think it's just a standard manifestation of the winds expressing themselves in a classic combination. Um, is it particularly weird or unexpected or should we look at it as non-canon as some people love to do, particularly when it's just in, say, for example, the computer game and it's not anywhere else? Yeah, no. That's the sort of shit that I would be throwing into World Fantasy Roleplay and absolutely adoring it because it's awesome. 
Yeah, yeah. If people think like if we ever got the fishmen, like not ironically, if we ever got fishmen and they did not have a their own interpretation of the like the Lord of the Abyss or whatever, I would be extremely upset <laughs> because no way they would use magic that we understand. Like they would yeah, probably be probably. using like depths of the ocean. It'd be like Olgu, Gyran, and Gur, and it'd be weird. Yeah, and I'd be looking for probably pulling on some. I mean, the magical world, the fated place itself that is Warhammer. We were looking to. I'm drawing a little bit of that because down there you're a little bit closer to something different. You know, that pelagic feel, the depths of the deeps of the black of the ocean. What is down there? And if you're not going to go a little bit old one, horrible, Cthulhu-esque, oh, yeah. uh, then what are you doing? Um, yeah. So, yeah, you you would most certainly be adding something a bit different in the same way that the hags didn't take the route that everybody expected, but made a characterful addition to what Warhammer is. Yeah, I think we've touched on pretty much every lore in concept, at least, as far as Oof. like they're either God adjacent or uh, spirit adjacent or the winds themselves. And then there, you know, there are characters that have now there is a lot of fun to be explored in. Like there are some lores of magic that have been very meticulously created versus magics that are kind of more naturally occurring, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So like a lot of the a lot of the more religious lores, like the lore of the Great Maw and stuff like that, tend to just kind of pop uh into reality thanks to these entities. But like uh Nagash's necromancy was very meticulous. Like Nagash used a lot of formulas and of like there's the whole yeah. corpse geometries, which is like a really complex mathematical formula. And they use um they use a lot of the language of uh Nehek and um uh, like a lot what's weird about the Lord Necromancy that's really fun is they actually use a lot of priestly um prayers almost in a sense invoking yep. a lot of that old Nehekaran wisdom um yep. because the Nehekarans had an obsession with the transition from life and death um yep. who boy they were obsessed with that shit um but anyway oh uh so the only thing that i see a lot of people asking about uh that i think is worth kind of just touching on a little bit more is a lot of people are going okay i understand that priests use magic in a sense but still, what are they? <laughs> okay, so there there is not a clear definition, but there is several examples in the text where uh, answers were provided. For example, Teclis rather famously arrived and said, see all your priests, they're just wizards. That's it. <laughs> That's all they are. Now, I can't, because he couldn't, stop some of their spells because of the nature of the way that they're conjured. They're weak. They're beneath him. They're actually difficult for him to perceive because of the nature of their creation, but they are nevertheless spells. Magic is a gift from the gods. Magic is quite literally what we were given by our gods, and what you're doing is nothing more than a debased version of that. Teclas was pretty fucking clear in it, categorical. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote that bit, so I know it pretty well. However, there is other bits in there that contradict that, because I also wrote those. Um, and they say almost the exact opposite, that the gods themselves are what ensures that those magics cannot be dispelled, cannot be stopped, cannot be interrupted, because they are divine in influence, divine in inspiration. And as we said way early in the stream, um, the truth of it, what lies behind it all, is that it is all, in Warhammer, largely speaking, magic, because the gods themselves are sourced in that. So you can answer it either way if you wish to do so. I could answer it one way, and then I could easily answer the no, other. I was gonna say, I bet I could bring up a really fun, like, direct source that comes. Yeah, it. Um, and both would be to a degree correct. 
Yeah. If if anyone, um, unfortunately, unless you want to spend like a billion dollars, you'll have to find an ebook version. But if you ever want to read some really, really fun back and forths on it from an in-character lore perspective, uh, check out Richter Kless's writings in the Libra Chaotica. He does Liber a Chaotica. whole chapter on the nature of priests. And it's great because you have the elves being like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like they're just, they're just spells. Like yep. we can even dispel some of them. Like obviously they're spells, but then you have, there's actually a written response from Volkmar the Grim, which is so well-written and Volkmar, like Volkmar takes the elves to task and it is great. Like I, a lot of people think Volkmar the Grim is just like battle Pope. He's so genius. Like he is yeah. such a genuinely careful considerate old man who thinks very carefully and like he's he's brilliant he's such a great character um like yes obviously he yells sigmar and hits people with a big staff hammer when he goes out to the battlefield but like his understanding of the divine because he doesn't just when he hears from the college's magic of the elves he doesn't just go oh no that's all horseshit he goes i think there is truth there but I think there's more to it than that. And he delves in and it gets wild, um, yeah. which is why he's one of my favorite human characters. Volkmar um, start. He's the man. Yeah, he's awesome, awesome, awesome character. Um, so, um, yeah, hopefully that answers a lot of questions on that. Uh, if, in, if Les Andy sees anything in the comment section that he wants to call out, I'm going to start asking questions from the Discord just because there's a ton of them. Yep, I'm cool with that. Um, I don't, there's nothing that's jumped out at me that's worth a... Yeah, uh, some of these um, people I will kind of cut down or skip if we've already answered it, so forgive me if that happens. Uh, okay, so this is a really good one. So Scythe Petals asks, um, with the lore of Nehekara, it seems yeah. like a particularly interesting lore because it's a, it's very heavily inspired from a meeting of light and death, but also has yeah. a lot of that godliness. And I will say, yeah. Nehekara is very interesting because in the old lore, it was priests. Like, it was exactly yeah, it was. like the priests of the 100%. They were not yeah. traditional wizards. They cast prayers. But then in 8th edition, Games Workshop came out, and it, I think it was because of the way prayers worked rule-wise. They were very, very weak in the battle game, and they could be dispelled, so they were almost impossible to cast. So they ended up turning it into a lore of magic. But I think yeah. that actually worked out very interestingly for Nehekara. Um, and not a bad way. Um, and it also kind of explained a lot of its relationship with necromancy a bit better, I think. But uh, he says, is it just so with Nehekara being more divinely inspired than many other lores and pulling very heavily on light and death? Is it just a variant of necromancy due to its ties to the realm of souls and being able to bring people back from the realm of souls and put them in their skeleton forms or their statue forms? Or is it something else entirely? I would say something else entirely. Mm. Um, it would be far too easy to make it necromancy. Um, necromancy is bleak, black, dark, horrible stuff. Um, in the Warhammer world, necromancy is not like other magic, um, other than just dark magic in general. It's proper, horrible stuff. It's yeah. Delving into the worst viscera almost, that magic yeah, allows. Almost one of the worst expressions of dark magic. It's ugly. Yeah, it's it's proper ugly. I mean, the, the idea that your mate can stand back up again after... Uh, that aside, um, it's a very different style. And it's a type of magic that is very closely related to several of the elemental lores at different points, particularly light. 
um, which is the uh, wind of intelligence, the wind of being able to make something sentient that may not have been before. Um, so the close relations that it has with light magic and the other magics to a lesser degree, um, broadly speaking, make me feel that it more than happily sits outside of the Dar wheelhouse. It's far more in the uh, knowingly divine magic wheelhouse, as in, we uh, believe our magic comes from a god, but we are casting these spells, we are doing these rituals, and it's us doing it. It's, it's mm. stuff that can't be dispelled. We are going to be having magical battles with what we have, but these spells come from our gods and to a degree are influenced by them, and it's a matter of belief more than necessarily fact in some cases. Um, but I think they definitely lie on that side rather than the ha-ha, cackling necromancer side, when they are not that, I think. Yeah, and I think there's a lot with what Andy said earlier about like the color spectrum of magic as opposed to just the eight block wins. Nehakara, in many ways, kind of just probably discovered their own color in that they kind of seem to have landed on, I don't know what color it would be, but they kind of landed between light and death in a lot of ways because a lot of the, you know, a lot of their spells are about invoking memory, restoring yeah. the past to corpses so they fight as good as they did when they were alive while also giving sentience giving sentience to statues and stuff like that um which is really really cool uh next question Um, oh my gosh inner workings of necromancy go watch my video on the nature of the soul manfred von karstein breaks it down big time just go watch your job in that one liver necris go read the dude necris liver watch that video job done (laughs) oh thanks um uh when's the video oh okay so this okay so andy already answered how does when how does it look when a priest calls on the winds of magic and the answer is most wizards don't see it um no not necessarily um there's a deep uh welling of faith there'll be light magic all over the place um hmm. so those who can perceive the light wind so will they be like glowing it. high elves for example they'll see them they'll probably have halos of light around their minds perhaps anywhere else that they believe um their uh their holiness comes from uh halos uh of light magic are not uncommon wristbands as well because many mm. of them believe that they're channeling the power of their god so they'll have glowing light gathering around them so uh, heish is a very real component of divine and religious magic and elves in particular are very capable of seeing that it's one of the reasons they, they believe that all priestly magic is basically just magic because they can see the light magic involved and pretty much no one else can even some of the light wizards who are very good at light magic don't really see it that well because it's such a diffuse wind uh uh roop asks relation to bad moon with goblin magic well the bad moon is literally morselid which is a giant yep borderline sentient creepily sentient hunk of warpstone so like it has a lot of magical influence on the planet huge and uh considering that it is literally an embodiment of chaos i bet it loves goblins yeah, uh, it's, because- it's, it's a giant it's a giant uh magic battery that wanders around giving oh. anything that's underneath it magic yeah this is great you were going to talk about this earlier but we got distracted what is with serpents and hish Okay, so all of the winds have got some anthropomorphic details hidden away in them here and there. Hish, for example, is closely associated in multiple places with a serpent. Um, And indeed, some believe may indeed be somewhat of a representation of Sotek, which may mean it's very closely attached to and allied with the geomantic web in general, and that Hish may in fact just be one step away from light magic, (laughs) Hish. 
told my uh, the Lizardman writers that so they could have given my skink priest the lore of light jerks. That would have been amazing because it would have Against tied into very <laughs> But you'll find you'll find many of the old models they're wrapped around with snakes um, yeah. that are popping up now. Obviously, they were tying upon um, uh, some of the Egyptian iconography, mm -hmm. um, but it became redolent through the course of third through up to about fifth area. Um, and it wasn't just that. Um, there's little drops about the, the serpent of knowledge and the serpent of this, um, and it's yeah. all tied into Hesh. Um, and uh, Hesh in particular, even the name Hesh, um, uh, is relatively serpentine. Now, has that been developed to any great degree? The answer is no. It's been dropped at in an artifact here. It's been dropped at a slight description over there. Um, it's been dropped at in a, a, the Light College has this, 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 this and this in it. Um, but it most certainly has been dropped. And uh, I intended when um, my first plan for the Colleges of Magic stuff was out, I was going to be driving relatively hard into that one because Man. I'd already touched upon it um, in the old Tome of Salvation, maybe it was in there. Yes, it was when um, Sotek and Hish were uh, gently attached to each other to show that uh, there was a snake-like god over in the Empire that predated other stuff was sitting on some old talistine um, yeah. carvings. All these things look together. I feel like Pepe de Silva needs to get out here and tie the fuckers together. Well, now that you say <laughs> that, it would have made so much more sense for Hish to have a significant effect within the cult of Sotek. Um, and also like with Tehinuin and the rivalry with Clan Pestilence yeah. would have made much more sense through the Hishian angle especially because like tenuin unleashes the engine of the gods and like he brings back all this ancient knowledge to the lizardman yep. and he starts like a new age that of enlightenment that should have been a hish thing enlightenment uh, is hitch yeah i think that's, that's I think, the center of it yeah yeah i god i'm really upset that story thread got missed by those writers because like beast it wasn't adding anything new it's like oh it's snake it's it's an animal um because yeah. like tenuin would have been so much more interesting and the cult of sotek skink priest would have been far more unique if they could uniquely wield the wind of uh hitch for they, they, priests they made the mistake yet again of looking at a species and saying oh they've got lizards that must be it must be it must be animals um uh, so uh -huh. angel Tupra, how does the magic uh -huh. blessing of the lady uh so the blessing of the lady we actually have explicit writings on how it works and it's kind of like imagine uh it's like not the matrix but like if someone were to shoot something at a bretonian knight then it just kind of like turns aside at the last second or if it's an arrow it shatters um like it hits an invisible barrier it's it's quite literally like physics doesn't work right because there's divine intervention is the blessing of the lady in a traditional sense um is is how you would probably see it like if you had a bunch of empire handgunners and they were like fire and they all shot at the grail knight the bullets just wouldn't hit him and he would just keep walking towards them, and they're like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, which is something I wish happened a little more. Granted, uh, the roleplay game tends to be from an Empire perspective, so we don't get to hear about a lot of the terrifying uh, uh, lady-isms. Uh, like, because the Peruvian Wars uh, would have been... Or, uh, 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 how do you say it? The Paravon... Which one? Paravonese? Yes, thank you. Uh, yes um there were probably a number of instances where the empire thought that that fate steel and gunpowder had them and then they ran into a different a different kind of fate and they were like uh-oh <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely uh, we, yeah we've talked about the skaven lores they're basically they're like the chaos lores you know it's dar with some influence from the great horn rat um mostly speaking um 
So, Mick, there's a good mixture of other um, winds of magic in there as well, if you want yeah. to be dirty about it. But the, anyone that's using DAR will almost certainly be using other winds for different jobs. For example, the plague side of it will have a heavy amount of gyron. Um, yeah, for the more, I would the, love for you to talk about that for a second. Yeah, yeah the warlock engineers. Gyron. Yeah, yeah. Gyron in particular, because Gyron is. Gyron, oh, healing. It's like, no, it's. No. Gyron, when you get an overabundance of Gyron, it turns everything right, overripe, postulant, and messy. It's the wind of cancer. It's the wind of life going mad and overboiling. And disease is nothing more than life. Don't forget that. The disease, yeah. almost all disease, is nothing more than a life within you that's not part of you. And Gyron will promote that. Indeed, um, one of the spells that was set up to go into the Warhammer fantasy roleplay game was a bunch of spells that, if you had diseases, would also make the disease worse if you got the healing magic. So you get your wounds back, but your disease gets worse um, because the life magic suffuses through you and sadly brings everything to life, not just your own body. Um, so yes, Gyron is very much at the core of many a Nurgle spell and many a Skaven spell. It's pretty much in there in the same way that gold is at the core of many a, war, a warlock engineer um, and how they present the world and understand the world. There'll be gold magic redolent through those warlocks. Yeah, the, the ruins spells. The, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and there'll be a, and lot, there'll be a lot of, of that of in there. And like the lore of stealth. Yeah. Uh, indeed, and and Azir with um, the warp lightning that pops out, um, all of them twisted by uh, Dar into something terrible and awful, uh, and often an enormous amount of warp stone because hey, who so, doesn't like a good chunk yeah, of that? Something I wanted to ask that uh, comes up from a question in the Discord as I'm kind of working down here is as magic has you know been forced to fit into certain bubbles uh, yep. to be interpreted into the battle game or video games and stuff. One thing that I noticed that I think um, I fell for for a long time before getting more into the deeper lore behind magic and realizing it's not necessarily the case is that the battle games kind of, they did kind of a weird thing with the chaos gods where they kind of tried to shunt them into representing a singular lore of magic. So like, they're like, okay, if you're a Nurgle wizard, you may have Nurgle or death. If yeah. you are a Slanesh guy, you get Slanesh or shadow. And if you're uh -huh. Zinch, you get Zinch or metal. And those are their, which those lores do heavily correspond with those gods, but I, it doesn't, I don't think it's as easy as the battle game likes to try and kind of present it. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, chaos at its very nature is not limited because that's the very nature of the word chaos. Um, for every example that you get for a chaos creature um, that sits in the battle game and has to be limited by the very nature of the game, because you have to have equal points, you have to have a balanced game, you have to have uh, no one side have an enormous advantage or whatever it may be. Um, in the roleplay side, in the greater depth of the world side, all of those things can happen. A Chaos Sorcerer can have all eight wins. Um, it's as simple as that. They can. Hmm. Um, that's the nature of the fact that they're a Chaos Sorcerer. They get access to all that plus their own chaos magic that sits on top of that is pretty freaking awful and dark magic too depending upon how it all runs out so um the limitations of the battle game are not limitations of warhammer per se but you'll find that whenever you're writing something for warhammer um that is for a licensed company or some equivalent say for example uh Great assembly, what they're doing or the fantasy roleplay game or anything similar um they are given the battle game in whatever state it may be, whether it was 8th edition for 4th edition fantasy roleplay or whether it was 6th um, edition for earlier editions. 
And that is the model that they have to conform to because that is what their product is and they want to support their product because Games Workshop wants to support what they're selling just now. Totally makes sense. Um, so you'll find that sometimes the lore will say that is the case and then an addition later say something else is the case because either the battle game's changed or whoever's writing the material is told, actually, no, you've got the freedom to do what the world should be or what we've said the world is rather than match the game. Um, so, yes, I agree completely. The magical nature of the Warhammer world allows for a great deal more than the battle game alone suggests. Yeah, which is good because I, I remember being younger and uh, I've kind of talked about this in the past of that when if you only are working off the battle game, you can get more of ideas like every single lore, which this can be true to some extent, but like every lore is like a mi uh, of the other lords is like a mix of lore instead of the idea that, no, it might be something unique or that, oh, well, if my Nurgle caster can only have death and Nurgle, does that just mean that it's death magic with Dar? Because that's the only things I have to work with when logically, no, there would be life in there and there'd probably yeah. even be hints and pieces of the other six ones as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes to all of that. Um, no. the, the, it's, it's a complicated and uh, much more interesting world than some descriptions of it would necessarily suggest. Uh, oh, here's a fun comment. Uh, I so I'm so sorry I can't read your name. I, I don't know how to read that particular language. Neither um, do I. Yeah, there's <laughs> mentions of the Lord that theoretically Warpstone could be purified. Mm -hmm. Uh, could you talk about that and talk about Warp yes. uh, Warpstone's evolution from first edition? Yeah, so Warpstone has gone through various forms. Um, at one point, for example, <laughs> Warpstone could be rendered inert with a rune. You get the correct wow. rune on it, and it's no longer um, Warpstone as you understand it. You could pick it up and hold it. It would look like Warpstone, but it wouldn't necessarily do you in. And the Skaven still have that tech written into their backgrounds. And that's warp tokens all over the place, often mm. created from bits of Warpstone that they've rendered inert using the horned rat symbol itself. And that renders it inert so they can trade it and do things with it and not turn into gibbering wrecks all the time. Plus, Skaven are to a degree not immune, but they are most certainly less They're certainly willing to risk it. <laughs> yeah, 100%. They don't live that long anyway. So, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. Ten, years, ten years old is ancient yeah, but, for a yeah, Skaven. Yeah, they definitely seem to have some innate <laughs> yeah, resistance. Totally. Yeah. Um, and the same has happened with some runesmiths who have found methods of rendering warpstone inert. In particular, again, Alaric the Mad, the Nemesis Crown, that is its uh, foundation point. Yeah, there's also, um, there's also a dwarf character in the War of Vengeance series that figures that out before he gets assassinated. Uh, yeah, indeed. Um, there are ways to render it inert, but these are strongly resisted. Uh, almost every turn by whenever a new developer comes in or a new person handling the license, whatever, the second someone says, could we make Warpstone okay and safe under certain conditions? Every time they say, no, that can never happen. And you get another round of it never happens. And then somebody's saying, but there's an instance, then it can never happen. Um, so you'll find that there's blips in the background in a variety of places where it has happened in the past. And I think that that makes it for a more interesting situation, particularly given that if it is, say, for example, just a scraped mark, do that slightly wrong and the whole thing's going to go just utterly wrong. And that's fun. Um, you can also refine warp stone. It's what the Skaven do. 
Um, so they effectively grind it down into a safer warp dust um, uh, situation where it's no longer got the same efficacy that it did, but it can be ingested by the seers and indeed the engineers um, to significantly increase their capabilities with magic as their systems flood through with all of the winds of magic that would have been held within that original piece of Warpstone. Warpstone is also, for the Skaven, it's got geriatric qualities. Um, they've found methods of ways of keeping themselves going for far longer than they should have done using mm. Warpstone, which is by its very nature destructive and corrupting. It's it's an incredible procedure. However they've managed to do it, almost certainly is bad for them. Um, uh, but <laughs> They're like Skeksis, going along, just carrying on um, uh, from Dark Crystal. But that all aside, uh, the general answer is no, you can't. It just can't. Warpstone is always dangerous. But the answer that you put on top of that is until this happens, this individual circumstance, this one person who found a way, but they almost always bury it at a later date. Yeah, and just like people in chat are saying, uh, yeah, we've cycled back around where Cathay has found, supposedly, safe ways to use Warpstone. Yeah. They have a Terracotta Sentinel that is either built out of or fueled by Warpstone because Zhao Ming, the Iron Dragon, is obsessed with it. Now, yeah. granted, there's also a lot of hints that it might be affecting him. He, he thinks it can't affect him because he's a dragon and he's a little arrogant, but he also has the great maw whispering in his mind now where he's, he's which oh my, I would kill for zombie to get explored in like a role play sense. Cause like his setup with the great maw is really interesting. Cause like he talks to himself. Um, if y'all, if y'all are bored, go play a Zalming campaign. And on the campaign map, there will be times where he starts talking to himself and you can hear him discussing with the great maw. Um, and like the other dragon kids are like, What's going on? Is he he's kind of Dude, over there? Yeah. Don't but, do that. <laughs> but he has also successfully invented a lot of really cool technologies using warpstone and found ways to make it safe enough for humans to use without mutating, which is very impressive. I mean, uh, Warpstone's uh, um, at the heart of most necromancy. Warpstone's almost certainly at the heart of many of the things that the Dark Elves have done. Um, Warpstone is just pure magic. It's just dark magic in solid form. It's obviously horrible, corrupting, all these other things as well. But it is ultimately just a chunk of magic. Um, mm. And that, for those who know what they're doing, is an extremely powerful potential. Um, it's like uranium, because in many respects, that's what it was. It was the 1980s version of uranium, because that's when it was created. Yeah, the great nuclear horror that lay out there. Um, and, and it even, mutates uh, you. Even non-magical people, like alchemists, even wizards. Alchemists that cannot use magic really like Warpstone because they, they if they're careful, they can use it without getting messed up. Um, they just have to be very, very careful about it. Totally. But that anything can be handled if handled correctly. Oh, um, yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. there's a regiment of renown of Celestial Dragon Guard that have Warpstone armor and weapons that's been effectively certified. And it's, yeah, it's totally. a very effective form of armor and weapon. Mm -hmm. um yes to the comment shouldn't all warpstone weapons be magical yes they should uh yes. i don't yes, know yes they why. absolutely should and whenever they didn't do it particularly with the skaven um it, it was an issue that was constantly piped back to the studio during warhammer 4th all the way through to 8th really yeah, where, where, um where the number of weapons that they had that should be magical Giselles, for example um that were using warpstone books um uh, warps warpstone inside the poison wind globes but they forgot um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, everything should be magical. Yeah, it's you can see it like different editions. Um, most of them, if they're smart, they literally just have like a warpstone weapon modifier. And if you go to the part of the rules, it's like this is magical attacks. 
Um, yeah. But there are weapons they forget to apply it to. Total War has yep. done that as well, where there's like one or two weapons that should have it, but don't. Granted, that was due to an issue with the balance in game two because we had magic resistance, not spell resistance. Um, but they, uh, they're they working on it. They're fixing it. Um, so just going through some more Discord questions real quick. Snatter, when the Vortex was undone, how did that affect spellcasters? Um, imagine... If like you're used to working with like you're you're going out to grill right, and you're like I'm gonna turn on my grill just a little bit, but instead of a little bit, you activate a thermonuclear reactor. <laughs> that, that's basically what happened, which is why a yeah, lot of um, died. A lot and of for died. and for some uh, creatures out there, they'd have preferred it. Yeah, um, I, I'm thinking your malachites of the world. Yeah, a lot of well, it's like a lot of people got really big power boosts, and of course there were those who directly caused it. Nagash. He wanted mm -hmm. he he literally ripped the wind of death out because he's like I'm just gonna hoard all this shit to myself, which if he had succeeded, yeah if he had succeeded would have made him a god like there's no other way to put it, um and he's almost pulled that off multiple times which is why a lot of gods get really nervous around the cash uh, because he's just crazy, um Material god. Uh, okay, we've already answered that one with the other senses. Oh, here's a fun one from Infiltrator of Troy. When I cast yes. Dwellers Below, are the creatures oh. that are, that come out to attack my enemies, have they always been there, or did my spell create them? Your spell created them. There you go. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Um, now, there's a bunch of, because um, I call this a light spell, um, and light is not known for um, uh, its summoning. In fact, it's known for the exact opposite. It's not until you pervert uh, light with Dar that it then becomes demonology and it's used to create and summon effectively creatures and bind them and it's similar. Um, so uh, yeah, light is very much um, the opposite of that. It's based in the whole cracking open the world and pulling uh, light. Light, not light. Is it? Is it life? Yeah, it's a Gyran spell. I'm getting confused between my spells. I'm thinking the hands of Kokora, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dwellers Below is the, <laughs> is the one where if you failed the strength check, you got dragged. You got dragged died. down. Yeah, yeah, dragged down. Getting my spells mixed up. Deeply disappointing with myself. Um, so, There's uh, a lot life. Of them, so, so, yeah, life is a completely different kettle of fish. Um, life is often about drawing forth the life that already exists down there, um, vivifying things that may have been quiet. Um, in that particular case, um, it's much more likely to be something that might not necessarily have been that down below, but most certainly has been summed up and brought down. Um, so with uh, life, a completely different scale of fish to the hands of Kokora for light. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll say that the Warhammer world draws very heavily from Tolkien's inspiration in that like, the depths of the Warhammer world are fucking scary. And there are mm. things down there you could never imagine um that lurk down there and some of them have been there before the old ones some of them came after um there are even places where dar has gathered because if magic gets stagnant it turns into dar if it can't flow it eventually will coalesce into dar so there are places where demons exist deep below the earth um like you know i inevitably someone will ask does that mean there's a moria there is absolutely a moria there has been a time where dwarves have dug too deep and accidentally found a bloodthirster that has almost assuredly happened at least once <laughs> I'm going to say more than once because, yeah. you know, it's the Warhammer world. You, you've got to do it at least 10 times before anyone really cares. I'm with a giant hat. 
Sun Kyle asks, could you explain when using which site, what would it look to watch to watch a wizard's duel? What would it look like as far as them casting, miscasting, and dispelling or counterspelling? All right. So each time that they are casting a spell, they're first drawing in their individual wind or winds, depending on the nature of the spellcaster in question. Say, for example, they were a bright wizard. They would be pulling in channeling and reforming the red wind of magic which is relatively diffuse gathers around flames they pull that towards them you would see that you'd see them channeling it into a new shape you'd see the words changing that magic into a literal material thing as it moves from your etheric sense to your physical sense that would then be fired or chucked or whatever equivalent according to the spell at hand. Now, if you've got two magics slamming into each other, the inevitability of that is that all the magics that's involved with that will either collapse or hit against each other and the spells maintain, or alternatively, one pushes through onto the other side. If it collapses, the individual wins, um, just burst off each other, possibly calling a small, causing a small amount of dar, because dar happens whenever you get pressure with the winds, pushing against each other so wizard duels by their very nature can potentially cause dar it's one of the reasons why in the bright college where the hall of duels is where wizards do most of their mm -hmm. dueling for to become the next supreme patriarch or matriarch um that's lined with obsidian it's the obsidian hall to ensure that uh pretty much all the spells are not fatal don't do that much damage and also don't create dar because obsidian is anti-magical by its very nature indeed if you hold on the back wall you're pretty much immune to magic because you're on the back wall so it's a quick place to retreat to should everything go wrong mm. um anyway that's obsidian uh, so if you've uh, got your spell collapsing, it will collapse into the wind that it was created by. Different winds all look different, as we covered earlier on in the stream. Um, uh, if your one piles through, it will destroy the other spell, causing it to fritter away. Gold will land heavily on the ground and glitter away. Something like amethyst will just fall like damn dust and sand off towards the sides and gather. Algu will drift away like shadowy wisps of mist um, as whatever spell passes through it. Effectively, whatever the individual wind looks like gets pulled up towards the wizard and then turn into a spell. We all know what the spells look like because they're relatively well described. The spell goes out and if they hit each other, one magic will either win over the other magic or alternatively, they both collapse on each other. Mm. And would it be fair to say that it's probably fairly dangerous to be caught in the in those like yeah. pieces of magic that are flying off. Yeah. It's it's one of the it's one of my regrets actually not doing the um what now become the Winds of Magic book because I had a variety of rules set up for how Dar was created by Wizards Duels and by just spellcasters in general. Um how Dar was an outcome, not just curses and things going wrong, because Dar is part and parcel of being a wizard and ensuring you don't fuck up your spellcasting is an important part of making sure you don't taint the world around you. There's a reason people are afraid of wizards and not being able to write those rules made me a sad, sad man because <laughs> I was really looking forward to doing it. There's always yeah. the blog. There's always the yeah, blog. There's always the blog. I'll pop it up there. I'm, I'm Indeed, I'm already working on bits because um, uh, I keep on getting bugged by Elric. Um, by my dad um who's uh, asking for new magic rules because he's been asking and asking he deserves them um so i'll pop yeah. them up soon being being um uh, ah. yeah there's one of my favorite pieces of artwork i think from the eighth edition lizardman book is a magic duel between a slon and a lord of change and it's literally the lord of change is like belching out this giant stream of fire and the slon's just holding up a hand and the fire is reflecting all over the place 
And it's like, yeah, no, you would not want to be anywhere near that. <laughs> right. And remember that what you're seeing there is only the material component, the immaterial component, what they're doing. These are almost miniature gods battling out in the battlefield. For those um, there that have the witch sight and can see the winds of magic, the onrushing swell of the enormous quantities of magic both of these exceedingly powerful entities are bringing to bear would be bluntly blinding because um, yeah. there'd be so much of it there. It would be the sort of thing that if you were your average wizard from the Empire, they'd come in and go, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Nope. I'm noping out of here. While everyone else just sees uh, some fire and a bit of a shieldy thing going off and they're like, okay, yeah, that's all about The wizard's like, what? Yeah, I think I know. my favorite uh, I think accurate representation of a slon in the lore is in the Tyrion and Tekla series. Tyrion and Teclas go to Lustria for a little bit and they're nowhere near a slon. They're hundreds and hundreds of miles away from a slon and Teclas senses one. <laughs> he senses a sleeping slon and I think it's implied to be like a fourth or a fifth generation. So not even one of the big biggest ones, but he senses it sleeping and he's like, we need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, because Tyrion's like, can't you use a big spell to make this situation easier? And Tekla says, I am not waking that thing up. We are leaving. <laughs> yeah, totally. Which, like, yeah, they're scary. Um, yeah. So uh, moving on to another question. Uh, given there was magic in the old world before Teclas stuck yes. his eight-color Orin, what yeah. did it look like? And how would they have reacted to some elf coming over and telling them everything they were doing was wrong? Okay, this has been covered in multiple places. I've written about this one myself, but it would have looked exactly the same. Let's start off with the obvious thing. Um, the winds of magic were the same before as they were afterwards. Individuals and their own paradigms, their own belief systems would have tainted how they perceived the winds individually, but that wouldn't change how they would appear. So first things first, the winds didn't change by techless arriving. I know that's obvious, but it's worth making it mm. nice and clear. Now, imagine yourself somewhere in the region of four or five hundred human wizards who have been gathered by three high elf mages and taught. Now, I'm just making a number up here. The numbers have never really been said, but there's a lot of them, many of whom are going to yeah, fail, on the march, many, of whom, <laughs> many of whom are going to be much more powerful than anyone expects. Volans, for example, roundly, mm. roundly believed that he could probably channel all eight winds when he arrived, and they were like, shit. That means we have to teach them the light wind because he yep. can channel it. We yep. can't get out of this shit. And patriarch um, of the light college. He was a big deal. And he became the patriarch of the light college because the light college is by far the most difficult to win to uh, channel. And there he is, right in there at the beginning. Fallen's. He's the man. Mm. Um, so there they are, and they're attempting to tell all of these individual elementalists, hedge witches, pokey druids, various types of people that all of their beliefs are completely wrong and the magics that they're casting are dangerous and here is an alternative and they teach them what is the elemental lores of the elves now this is basically their apprenticeship an elf apprentice gets taught the eight lores of magic and they get taught just a single one of them they basically become elven apprentices just for their life the most powerful human wizard is uh, the equivalent of an elven apprentice that's mm -hmm. basically what they're teaching them and consolidating because they think that's the only way they can see that they're safe because all of the ones around them are dropping dar like you have no <laughs> idea. Um, now, not all of them are because some of them are practicing traditions that are relatively safe, but most of them aren't. These are just dodgy hedge witches. They're the very worst witches that they have to offer. Um, they are then 
slowly siphon to whichever wind that they have strongest. That's the eight wins that they're split between. Only a few that can be properly trustworthy are given the grey. Almost no one can do the light. Loads of them can do jade because it's a relatively easy win. A few can do amethyst. And they're all segregated out and they're very carefully taught that everything they know is wrong. Now, the question is loosely, how do they take that? Almost all of them badly. Yep. <laughs> but, but they have a very strong reason to definitely do it. And that's that for the first time in their lives, they're legal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the first time in their life, the cult of Sigmar, who have been hounding them, no longer can because they're in a position where they've been given effectively dispensation to use magic for the first time and to learn the good shit. Not the shitty little spells that they've been working on, but proper battle magic spells for some of them who are capable. Proper, I can blow up a regiment type of magic. Because in the end, as we all know, not only were they only taught how to be elven apprentices, they were only really ever taught how to do war magic. Because they're weapons. Mm. Weapons of the Empire. Um, but nevertheless, it's very, very, very tempting for them to stick with it and do what they're told because they're going to be in a position where they can now legally exist without being hunted down. So yep. many of them stick, many of them will run away, many of them will disappear, so they'll be hunted down. But cut the long story short, as they accept this new paradigm and this new way of thinking, they will all slowly but surely, over the course of time, become the wizards we know and love today. And they will learn to view the wins in the same way, because it's what they're taught. They'll be shown where they're making mistakes. They'll be shown how they're doing things wrong. They'll be shown that what they're doing is creating dar. So all of that amounts to... It used to be not wizards that were one way and they turned into wizards that were or got killed. Yep. All right. We're going to enter some rapid fire mode. So prepare yourself. Right. Uh, just try and get one through a lot of these each. questions. Uh, one, sure. One Why second. is Atha Lauren so weird? Because there's a lot of magic. Spirits. Yeah. Spirits. A lot of magic. And magic. Also, yeah. According Spirits. to 8th edition, the old ones were also kind of involved, which everything they touched got odd. Um, let's see. Um, how, ooh, here's a... Okay. What? <laughs> One sentence per wind, Andy. Okay. How, oh, do, shit. how do new <laughs> wizards, like apprentices, learn uh -oh. each of the different winds? Okay, right. So, yeah. Each of them are massively different. Um, don't think that the Imperial Colleges of Magic have got a fixed curriculum that all eight colleges follow. They are, all have completely different curriculums with a completely different setup. And each of them requires a little bit of time to go into, so I won't. But let's just say that they all do it completely differently. Some of them take a really long time. Some of them do it in a relatively short period of time. There you go. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see, we already answered that. Uh, uh, can high magic be used to raise the dead? Uh, you can revive people with it. Yes, they would not be like traditional. They wouldn't be zombies. They'd probably yeah. be much cleaner and prettier. Yeah, what, what you got to remember with the high magic is it's all other magic plus, and light magic um, can contact the divine realms, um, and the divine realms are filled with people um, who are dead, um, who are still working on a good side. Now, you might not agree with that, depending on which version of the background you go with, but everything from Aerith Kael and what she's doing with the elves, to most of the gods having divine servants in one fashion or another, they can be brought back using mostly light magic, which requires a plus one to do the big shit, High magic. Uh, let's see. So it seems godhood is tied to the winds of magic. Yeah, that's pretty first statement. What about the yep. dwarf ancestor gods? Yep. Um, uh, in the same fashion, uh, it's, it's, it's a toughie. 
Um, th this is one of the ones where if you try to supply an answer, all you're really doing is contradicting something else. Because um, dwarves are always a little bit special in how they deal with this. Um, the ancestor gods, I think it'd be fair to say that it's not so much magic, and it's just that fuckers don't go away. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would say there is something uh, inherently often magical about them. I do not think it's a coincidence that when the vortex was created and a lot of magic left the world, so did the ancestor yep. gods. Um, yeah, and they, I, I agree. Yeah, they functionally went into hibernation to basically wait for the day that magic would return. Yeah, the, the one thing you've got to really get about dwarves is that for all they are utterly magically dead, for want of a better description, they gather magic quite well. Yeah. <laughs> they gather quite a lot of gold to them. They gather quite a lot of heish. They're very, they gather a lot of gold because they're very methodical people. And it comes around them. They literally can't help it. There's a lot of magic about them. Just because they themselves can't do anything with it using normal processes doesn't mean that there isn't a lot there. Um, they are, however, it's fair to say, one of the least chaos-affected species, though, um, in that you don't get loads of fucking dwarf mutants all over the place. Yep, and that's why, uh, for those wondering, because I've seen some questions about it, that's why the chaos dwarves are so fucking horrific on, like, yep. a physical and spiritual level. Hash yep. it really messed them up good. Yep, 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 100%. Uh, oh, gosh, that is, there is a lot of text <laughs> on this one. Um, okay, I'm gonna break this down to uh, magic seems to change all creatures, yes. Um, how were dragons changed by magic before the old ones because magic still existed, the old ones didn't yep. introduce the concept. Um, and yep. dragons are often drawn to magic. Um, many yep. dragons are sympathetic to a wind of magic, and if they hang around it for too long, it literally changes them. That's why there yep. are actually dragons denoted to each of the specific lores, yeah. And um, um yeah, that, 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 that yeah. Yeah, could there be yeah. a dragon of the other minor lores, like a Nehekara dragon, an ice dragon, or a Ma dragon? I would say if it's like a religious um, lore from a god, probably not. Ice magic, maybe if it's its own separate lore. If it's um, all sunk. If it's all sunk inside, kids live somewhere. Yeah, I could. I could even see that actually happening. Get yourself a big ice dragon. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and we do know there are ice dragons. They do exist, uh, uh, though. Typically, uh, they're considered to be heaven Azir related because uh, they hang out in like ice storms and stuff. Yeah, but eh. Um, yeah, yeah, it, um, yeah. I I don't think this is really possible to answer necessarily because it gets into some weird <laughs> stuff. Is the Great Green uh, one of the divine realms in the realm of chaos, or is it something else entirely? Okay, yeah, you can answer that. The answer is uh, depending upon how you view the realms of chaos, either yes or no. And by that I mean the aether is infinite. The aether is supposedly where the gods reside in some fashion or another. If you believe that the aether is filled with things that aren't just chaos, then the answer is yes. That is where they are. Because there's nowhere else for them to be in the Warhammer world. And Mork and Gork absolutely do in some form exist. So that is where they would exist in the aether. It's infinite. It's got more than enough space. So yes, but... I can make uh, a few butts in that one. Yeah. Does magic have anything to do with how End has so many gods in the non-chaotic beastmen? I would say that is very likely. Um, it, you, it, to have gods, you probably have to have magic because they kind of need that wibbly-wobbliness to do things. I mean, the, the gods come from a magical realm. They are magic. 
um, in one fashion or another, gods are magic. Even if you believe they're just all chaos gods putting on faces, if that is your preference, it's still, at its core, 100% magic. Uh, how does Andy feel about the new Cathay lore on magic, where they have the eight elemental winds that are understood as yep. different concepts, but also similar? And how does he feel about the lores of yin and yang? Love it. There you go. And keep that one super simple. Absolutely love it. Um, I think it's a necessary development. Um, our magic in the Warhammer world has been too focused on the Empire and how it viewed magic and then putting how it viewed magic on everybody else afterwards. And I didn't like that. And you can see that right from the very first creation of the Winds of Magic at the very beginning. Uh, what is the geomancy of the Slon um, <laughs> in essence? Uh uh, we sort of covered that. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, one way of viewing it would be a big, huge, massive magic battery. Yeah, um, yeah, and and the the, the geomancy of the salon, like uh, Andy kind of said, it's functionally them kind of using high magic, and then like depending on what they're doing exactly, it might be like hish if they're causing a lot of earthquakes and stuff. Mm -hmm. It might be life if they're like raising up a forest or a hill or something. It just it depends on what they're doing with it exactly. But it, just think big. They're they're big spells. Yeah. Um. Maybe a dumb idea, but I think... Oh, no, okay. that That's not a dumb idea. We'll, maybe we'll do that one day, which the suggestion is looking at the spells in Total War Warhammer and if they're, like, fun and accurate and stuff. Oh, that um, would be fun. Uh, two questions. Uh, how do you imagine... Oh, no, okay, we already talked about that. Uh, pop, 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 pop. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. I approve of that, that sort of question. Millennium, thank you for the question. Uh, we already answered it. Um, pop, 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 pop. Uh, we already answered that one too. Um, I think any lore that is well. in any system could absolutely exist in the, the canon. Just because it's not explicitly talked about in the roleplay game yep. or explicitly talked about in the tabletop game does not mean it doesn't exist. 100%. Indeed. Um, the more that's added, probably the better. Think how big the real world is and think how big uh, the think how many different people are doing crazy stuff all over the world. It's It's beyond counting. And the Warhammer world is in a similar place. Adding an extra lore or two is small, small stuff. Uh, okay, so a fun question, uh, RPG-related uh, for 4th edition from Half Crown. Talks about in the new... Uh, well, uh, so in uh, the new book and some of the old books, it talks about how when you pick a lore of magic, it often starts to affect your regular arcane spells. Yes. Um, so he goes, could you give me an example just for fun of, like, if you were to cast a basic spell like Bridge or Dome, when using something like Gur or Shayish, if I wanted to make it not just a basic typical description. What yeah, sure. Look like? Yeah, yeah. Um, so first, let's clear up a, um, a slight misunderstanding there to make sure it's entirely clear. In Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4, there are no windless color arcane spells. Every single spell that's in that arcane list is attached to all eight lists in a different way. So, for example, the bridge spell, there's eight different bridge spells each one of which is attached to one of those lores. So there's a purple bridge spell, a red bridge spell. Each one is different and cannot be learned from another one. And you can't learn a spell without knowing one of those eight wins. That's it. There is no, I've got an arcane spell and I can do it. There is, however, witch lores that get access to those spells. And they, again, manifest them in different ways. So every single one of the spells in that arcane list should be described differently for every single one of the wins. Um, so the example there was, what was that, a bridge? Um, yeah, wind or barrier. Uh, for which wind? Uh, Gur or Olgu. 
Ivan's pretty easy. So there's an actual um, existing Olgu spell, Shadow Bridge, um, which is a battle magic spell, admittedly, so a far bigger version of the basic bridge spell, but it just gives you a shadowy um, bridge that you can make your way across. It's an illusion-style one with drifting smoke um, coming off of it. Equally on that, you could um, have it possibly uh, be almost a gateway that moves through the Aincurn, which is almost a shadowy realm that you can pass your way through. That's another way of doing it. Gur is always easy. You just immediately go, what sort of animal can do it? It doesn't just need to be quite literally a bridge of, I don't know, a giant pile of slugs or whatever animal you prefer. Um, it could be an animal swooping down and carrying all the people that are affected by the bridge across instead. All you need to do is, is look at the spell's effect, not its name. What does it actually do? And the question that's answered there is it moves you from A to B. So anything animal-based that moves you from A to B, including sprouting your own bloody wings, is a good way of res um, resolving that. Yep. Uh, Luby, what's the most complicated spell? Go watch my top five spells ever cast video. It's super fun and goofy, and those spells are literally <laughs> like borderline reality breakers. Um, they're fun. Like, the big final spell Lord Croak casts, it's bonkers. <laughs> it literally took him like a month to like cast it. And he's talking the entire time. Um, like, that's how complex some spells can get. Would Cygors yep. be blinded by Winds of Magic? Oh, I'll put it this way. It, would you be blinded if I threw a flashbang in your face? So, <laughs> um, now, granted, it would have to be a very sudden Storm of Magic. You know, their eyesight, I think, could reasonably adjust to it because they only see the Winds of Magic. But, yep. uh, yeah, no, that would probably be relatively unpleasant for them if it was very sudden. Um, yeah, it would. How would Athel Lauren look to the witch site, especially with its various denizens? Um, absolutely redolent with the Winds of Magic. And don't think it's just going to be Gyron and Gur. It's going to have all of the winds in there. And particularly given that so many of the glades are so very different in how they uh, manifest. Um, the elves in particular are deeply emotional creatures that uh, cycle through a depth of emotion that really does surprise uh, other species, and they bring and summon winds of magic in great amounts. And when you add that, a whole bunch of vengeful, spiteful, terrible spirits, all of whom have got ancient histories and old hatreds and loves and everything else in between, that is a place that is so redolent with magic that those with witch sight are going to be a little bit, whoa, whoa, man, this stuff is mighty weird. So yeah, a lot. Yeah, and they, and if you're ever jamming that, have a lot of fun with the way they see the various spirits. Because like the way the spirits of Athalorum present themselves is usually what's referred to as their war aspect. They can take almost any form they want, but if you could see their magic form, it'd probably be really weird looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, does uh, is magic does magic break our world's basic rule of physics that matter can neither be created or destroyed, only converted? I would say, yeah, that's a yeah. fascinating one. That's a really fascinating one because some wizards will say no. Yeah. Um, and several wizards, particularly the more methodical ones, the Celestials, the Golds, they are constantly looking for ways to show how magic is actually completely constrained by the material realm. The mortal realms um, are massively stuck. And magic, arguably Zinch, arguably bringing in change, is at the heart of all that is wrong. Um, and the biggest spells clearly do change the material realm in a way that possibly breaks the laws of physics. And that is what is potentially shattering the world and bringing around the great cycles mm. where eventually the ever-chosens themselves can come. Um, there's a reason that the cult of Sigmar in general are deeply against magic. 
Yeah, I I would say yes, it can, and that's the problem. Um, yeah, like that's yeah, good the Winds of Magic, yeah. they are literally just it's energy. Magic is energy from a realm of infinite, and that does not that is problematic. <laughs> that's why, yeah. like, it's yeah. it's worth also adding that um, uh, one of the issues that those wizardy woos have is that the winds wax and wane. Sometimes they have very little of it around, so they do have to draw in quite a lot sometimes to create their magical effects. So there is definitely cause and effect. Um, but are they creating something? Now, the amount of energy that they build, they're converting into something else. There is a reason that some golds claim that there is absolutely no new energy created, and it does work within the physical realms of science. Mm. But there's equally reason that others claim that certainly isn't the case. Just take a look at something swelling up to a ridiculous size. Where does that all come from? And they would say it comes from the magical energies, which have been, which have been rewritten from being etheric energy, pure ether, by its transfer into the material realm. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> if each of us could choose one lore of magic that we could control, which would it be? We've asked Andy this before. Um, I think you settled on Gyran? Yeah, probably, because it's nice and easy and less likely to fuck with me completely. Although there is a good um, alternative. You could say... Uh, Kash, because to do that you'd have to have mastered all other eight wins. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's a cheat answer, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would I would also probably be in the life category, uh, because I feel like there's a lot of good you could do with it with yeah. relatively little risk and bad. Um yeah. whereas the other lore is like there are temptations there or downsides that are very serious, or they are much more efficient at unleashing horror than anything else yeah i mean um, the mental health issues alone yeah yeah oh um, wow yeah actually like actually you can do a couple <laughs> of good things actually but you'd be far I mean, more likely to blow up the neighborhood <laughs> <laughs> lord of heavens is the coolest i would not want to deal with the anxiety that the lord of heavens would give me like sealing the trying to see the future and a bunch of other nonsense mm. no sir mm -hmm. um uh okay okay so um i think uh there's a couple of last tiny little things that i saw that i think would be really cool <laughs> what is this question if the dwarves made a ring around the chaos gate with the anvils of doom would that solve the problem oh absolutely it's problem solved if only they thought about it. tell you what let's get <laughs> let's get enough anvils of doom to surround the warp gates up in space <laughs> no problem <laughs> yeah um what is truth sayer magic uh mm, mm, albion <laughs> everybody's favorite <laughs> yeah um it's interesting because um uh i had a discussion about this very briefly with um gav because gavthorpe that is um because he and i were going to be writing an adventure to follow on from the enemy within and at the core of that was going to be a variety at least in the first part of issues with the truth sayers um and let's see other people like Bellacor et al um and uh what the truth sayers were was briefly um highlighted in that um and the easiest would way would be to say something along the lines of uh further remnant of druidic uh magics um that would be one way of viewing it um it would work uh you could say that they are um a holdout from a more ancient civilization of knowing certain things that come from that. Um, 
ultimately, uh, Albion is an exceedingly important place in the Warhammer world, much more so than is immediately apparent. Um, and much of our discussion centered around the fact that that wasn't a part of the end times and we felt it was a bit of a shame yeah they yeah it, they i don't know why they retconned the albion crisis out before the end times it was very weird because it's like it's such a core part of everything that leads up to the end times because like how can bellacor be exactly with bellacor yeah. yeah like he's anyway um and like, yeah i, I agree albion crisis was great <laughs> i'm glad yeah. i'm glad Total war embraced it albion is really fun yeah there's um, a lot of fun there uh okay uh let's see and then i saw one that actually caught my attention uh for you uh from this oh, lovely person yes. again does andy miss illusion magic and elementalist from first edition mm -hmm. old hammer lore uh there were multiple attempts to write them back in second but i'd like to hear his thoughts on it right so um illusionists i was going to add back into second um they were going to be coming up in a book called tome of thieves um this was a book that i was going to be writing with will hindmarch who is currently working for critical roles i recall darrington press makes board games for him um and it was going to be a book about uh all of the various scoundrels and ne'er-do-wells that you would find across the old world included in that was going to be illusionists who were going to be using um a mixture of dar and gray to do what they were doing. Um, they were going to be a witch lore, much like we had the witch lores for the ice witches, the hedge witches, the hag witches et al. Mm. Um, they were going to be added in. We were also going to be adding in um, a group called Pocket Men. Um, and they were people that were ultimately based on the old produce um, uh, something out of oh. the hat, <laughs> yeah. um, But they'd be pulling basically stuff out their pockets um, from the aether, effectively. They were going to be using a mixture of Heich and Dar. Um, and wow. uh, as for that would be spectacular. <laughs> utterly awesome. Um, and blows himself up. And, and it's where you got the, it's where you got like produce small animals and mm. they would be pulling out equipment for their friends so that they could do heists um, and storing stuff and oh, getting you know, your bag of carry. And there's going to be all the thiefy type angles there. But their magic was not only deeply legal because it's not a legal form of magic in the Empire or anywhere else. Um, but it was also going to be pretty dangerous because of the dark side effects that came along with it. Um, so do I miss those? Yes. Were we going to introduce them then? Yes, we were. And elementalists were a little bit tougher because, as I mentioned way earlier in the stream, there was always the issue with earth elementals and exactly where they sit inside the existing <laughs> elemental eight laws of magic. Now, obviously, we've got a really good answer now with Azir and why it works for Azir. And I really like it. Um, mm -hmm. And I would almost certainly use that if I were going to be doing that today. Um, the rest of them are arguably much easier. And sadly, though, Azir works really well for the air <laughs> elemental as well. Oh, God damn it. But you could work that quite nicely Hish. to all if you wish. Hish. Hish. Or it's or diffuse and it's yeah. all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's ways there, to do there it. There are options. There are options. Um, yeah. But loosely, all of those, if um, second edition had continued, would have almost certainly been added in other ones. Um, I was already commissioned for an elf book, an encyclopedia book, um, a thief book, um, and one other book I actually forget off the top of my head. Man, and all the of the timeline. We, we didn't get yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did not get those because Games Workshop um, pulled the plug on second edition um, and they sold it as a license over to FFG, which meant that Fantasy Flight Games, which meant that all of the planned books got changed and they made a third edition of the game instead. So yeah, yeah I missed them. And yes, I'd bring them back. Yeah, that being said, I do think there's a lot of strength for them coming back. Um, like yeah. I said, my Araby proposal video is going to be coming out uh, this week, so y'all should check that out. I think Elementalists is what they would call their wizards. 
um like and they would probably have cool summoning and a bunch of other cool stuff um yeah, it'd be awesome. give, me, give me give me them lesser elementals because they they have already three lesser elemental types being the the jins the ifrits and the oh god i can't remember what the third one's called just look at the arabian ship from um dreadfleet yeah yeah exactly it yeah, literally has yeah, three totally. incarnate elementals on it <laughs> yeah totally um but uh why aren't anvil of dunes made anymore they forgot uh, the dwarves lost the knowledge of how to do yeah. it. Also, I would highly suggest there's not enough magic in the world anymore. I mean, you know, if they had them, they'd have just run around the chaos gates made of shots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'll put it this way. Y'all know how insane a storm of magic is. And if you don't, like a storm of magic is a borderline cataclysmic event if it's not dealt with. Alric the Mad used a storm of magic to make the, 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 the 12 rune fangs. Um, that's it. Like, <laughs> like, granted, the rune fangs are awesome. They're really powerful. Also, go watch Lawhammer. There's some really cool lore threads happening with rune fangs right now. Um, oh yeah, you should do that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, forging an anvil of doom would be virtually impossible. Um, mm. now, um, it yeah, would like, agreed. It, it yeah, you'd have to. It's the sort of thing that if you're doing yourself some form of end times campaign or something, you could turn that into the campaign. Um, you know, the the world is going crazy. Uh, massive storm of magic is coming out. There's potentially a way to resolve it. Maybe an apple of doom is your yeah. answer. Uh, uh, but really, really, it would require some sort of epic plot. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised if animal of doom use high magic. I actually say they're almost more dangerous than that. Um, yeah. in that high magic kind of has a stability that anvil of dooms don't. Uh, anvil of dooms can explode. It happens, and when they explode, it is a it is awful. Um, which is why, like, Thoric Ironbrow is insanely in intelligent. The fact that he's able to literally take out a rune that is drawing magic to it, and he sets it on a forge and goes, boom, and causes a spell to happen is nuts. Like, the the power he's wielding and how fucking dangerous that is is unspeakable. But yeah. The, um, uh, Geraldo, I'd just like to say, watch my freaking campaign, because that's what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah uh yes so uh we're pretty much at the end um so thank you all so much for watching i do want to take a moment to say please go watch lawhammer he's on this side yes do that. um yes uh i i will not stop shutting up about it i'm literally going to talk about it endlessly because i love it a lot and i think you all i think y'all will love it a lot that's the reason i'm not saying it because like i'm trying to get you know andy's okay i'm not saying like he's living on the streets and he's, he's all right <laughs> but, but um if you enjoy these kinds of streams you're going to love Lawhammer. That's why I bring it up. Um, so please go check that out. Also, Rookery Publications. Uh, they do a lot of really fantastic streams. Um, they just did one with Sage this past Saturday, which was fantastic. Talking a lot about how to pull other cultures uh, into your homebrews and also just homebrewing in general. Um, in really general in this one, yeah, yeah really, really enjoyed that. The week before, they did a whole stream about uh, with, um, can't remember his name, Um I have that, no memory of that. Oh, it's Adrian Tchaikovsky, wasn't yeah, it? There um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Liar. Yeah, you did. Uh, but uh, they did a stream that was really big on how to create non, like not just humans in another skin suit, but something genuinely different. How to yeah, create non-human species. And it's fantastic. Um, I actually was able to submit a question to get him ranting on the Lizardman for a bit. And it was awesome. Um, he had a lot of really cool things to say about them. Um, but uh, yes, please, please, please do check those out. And uh, also, if you're here, you know my shit, so I'm not going to plug my shit. Um, but uh, you should watch more of his shit. <laughs> yes, please do. I need you the money. Definitely should. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and the last question, which a billion people submitted, is Andy, have you had time to check out any of the Yuan Bo stuff? And what do you think about it so far? Oh, what an idiot I was. So, yeah. <laughs> So I was, I, that. I opened it up. I started reading it, going, "Yes." Went off and did something else. My ADHD brain came in, and then I started writing spells, which is appropriate for this stream. Went yeah. off to do some talents. Forgot about the document. Half an hour before I was coming on this stream, sat down, went on to. I'm not going to call it what it is. And went on the Twitter. Um, and I was like, oh, holy shit, that thing. Oh, Andy Hall said, shit. Oh, balls, I've not read that. Oh, I'm so rubbish. Um, immediately went to open it up and then got caught up with doing this. So sadly, I do not have any opinions that I should have. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> so I will have opinions later. I was just an idiot. <sighs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we'll get, we'll get back to you. On. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's, there's, I've already got an analysis video up on it. And we also did a live stream where we just rambled about it for like four hours. Um, fool. But, uh, anywho, uh, yes. And, um, hopefully we'll have, uh, so we're going to do something a little different this week, uh, because I saw this suggested and it seemed like Andy liked the idea based on the emotes he attached to it. Uh, but instead of me and Andy just picking a subject and like, we're like, boom, there. Uh, me and Andy are going to figure out like a selection of topics, like maybe three to five, and we're going to let the community vote on what y'all want us to talk about. Um, that way, we're not forced to pick something that we don't want to talk about, but we also are allowing uh, community interaction. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, for this week, it'll be done on my YouTube channel to make things easy. But starting next week, I'm going to put it other places. So y'all have to check out our other channels. So like you might have to go to the Lawhammer channel and be a subscriber to vote on it there. That's <laughs> straight. That's a fine idea. Yeah. <laughs> subscribe. Yeah. Subscribe. Um, so um, if you want to be able to have influence on what we're going to discuss, um, you're going to need to, you know, go subscribe over there. Please do. Um, yes, please I, do. I it, it's, it's criminal uh, how much, uh, and granted it's because YouTube is a bitch. And the way it handles things like role play channels is not nice. Uh, the algorithm is not nice to that. Uh, so help out. Um, but in any event, yeah, we are over time. So uh, thank you all for watching. It was awesome to see how many people showed up. Like, holy shit, a lot of people were you here. You are me. awesome, and we love you all. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything else. I have nothing on um, to say other than looking forward to seeing what we're going to be discussing next week. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, and is Lawhammer on this Friday? Certainly is. Um, this Friday, uh, we are working our way through the uh, second uh, book of The Enemy Within, and we're hearing off in quite some different directions already. Um, uh, however, don't worry about that if you've not watched any of it. Let's go straight back to episode one. You've got 25 awesome episodes worth of enormously mm. content to come, yes. including some characters that you really, really won't expect. Yeah, I would like to officially announce while I'm uh, sitting here thinking about it uh, on YouTube and Twitch, because I'm going to use this system for it. I am going to start having uh, streams where I'm just going to be talking about Lawhammer and my thoughts on it and like the lore of it and whether I think they're doing a good or terrible job. Uh, <laughs> Shit job. It's terrible. So um, uh, please show up to those. And like, we're basically just going to probably start this week um, of like episode one. And I'm going to give you all a few days to watch it up leading up to that episode that way we can kind of do play-by-plays and have a lot of fun with it and it gives everyone an excuse to watch it and also to not be overwhelmed by it because we're just going to take it a piece at a time and also explore it because a lot of some of it can be uh kind of challenging or interesting and we'll have fun and you know 
maybe one of these days we'll get to have the various crew members over and Andy himself to talk about the questions that y'all come up with. Uh, it could be a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, the last thing is, Andy, what time is the next episode of Lawhammer on Friday? So the next uh, episode is at uh, 7 o'clock UK time on so be this 1 PM Friday. And it's on Twitch at Lawhammering. Yeah, and then what is going to be happening Saturday for Warcry? Do you know yet? Um, uh, I do, but before we do that, um, also the next episode that was from last Friday will be going up on Monday. That's tomorrow. So if okay. you want to watch our most recent episode, it'll be up tomorrow at hopefully 7 o'clock, assuming that Aaron has done all the production things behind the scene. I'll find out when I go over. <laughs> right. I have no Aaron. idea if it's ready or not. <laughs> it's it's going to be exciting. Um, not even on camera. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, this Saturday is, um, as I recall, this Saturday is our last um, episode for season Season, we're in season five for season five of Inside the Rookery, and we have ourselves on some discussion about um, architectural horror and how to use um, buildings to really build up the horror of a situation. Um, and they've written tons of role playing games um, that indeed do that themselves. So that's going to be super exciting. Um, I'm also right after that going to be doing a tutorial. This one's for patrons, but I will mention it just so you know if you fancy. Um, it's going to be teaching people how to write up fast, effective locations for their own role-playing games. Um, I basically created a template that's been used in a variety of different productions, including the Wire Fantasy Roleplay starter set, to uh, create locations and the NPCs that are in them super fast. So I'm going to be doing a tutorial for how to do all that. And then after that, I'll be doing a bunch of mapping tutorials for patrons as well. Awesome. Good now, times. is that the Lawhammer patron or the Rookery? That is, um, that's inside the Rookery patron, which is a completely separate thing because that's Rookery Publications. The Lawhammer patron is for the Warhammer streams, what we do every single week. So there you go. Awesome. Uh, so, yes, thank you all for watching. Hope you all have a lovely day. We're out. So, yeah, thanks for watching. Bye bye. Bye bye. Guys. Bye bye.